Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack. Hello, theorists. So in this episode, we're going to try to get through the entire set of Adventures <laughs> in the Forgotten Realms. Yes. Uh, we have previously discussed the, the little trickle of spoilers that came before preview, ste- before preview season really started in earnest. But now we're going to be getting through everything else. It's going to be a jam-packed episode. Um, so I, I don't want to delay too much. But before we jump into the commanders and then move on to the main deck cards, I want to briefly talk about our Patreon. If you head on over to patreon.com slash commandertheory, you can support the show and get sweet benefits for as little as $1 a month. If you aren't ready to be a patron yet, you can help us out by rating or reviewing us wherever you get your podcasts. With that, let's jump into the commanders. Uh, what's the first commander we've got up from Adventures in the Forgotten Realms? Yes, so um, this first one is a legendary dragon. There's a cycle of chromatic dragons, uh, which is like colorful dragons once Tiamat births. So this is... Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Please give us the color commentary for, for anyone who may not be familiar with Dungeons and Dragons. I think yeah. That'll, yeah. that'll be greatly appreciated. So this one, the reason I'm laughing on this one is just the name is... Um, a lot of these were named in the like 70s and 80s based on like pulp fiction so this one is icing death frost tyrant um <laughs> so icing death is a white dragon and this card is a white card and it is a 4-3 dragon with flying and vigilance for four mana two white white uh icing death frost tyrant oh sorry when icing death frost tyrant dies create icing death frost tongue a legendary white equipment artifact token with equipped creature gets plus two plus O. Oh. Whenever equipped creature attacks, tap target creature defending player controls and equip two. So just two generic. Um, so icing death in a story, basically Drizzt and some people go and kill icing death to um, get a bit of her to, or him, sorry, to um, make a weapon to fight someone else they needed to fight it was like the mini quest before they fight a big bat or something like that so the card just is exactly that you go and you kill icing death and you get a cool sword (laughs) um so the flavor spot on um how do you think it fares as a commander uh i'm not very high on this the base body the four cost four three flying vigilance is not very exciting from like a voltron standpoint or really any other standpoint um and the equipment is just like fine it's like a i mean it, it seems like it would probably be good in like a game of limited or something but you know these these numbers like the plus two plus oh or like tapping something once that's not really how you're going to win a game of commander i don't think any of element of this card is is very scales very well to this format no i think the saddest thing about this card is that that like i know that flavor wise it had to be like this legendary sword that icing death makes but i wish the sword was just like a artifact token like an equipment token because if you could farm icing deaths like death trigger and get a ton of swords you could actually do something with that but the fact that it's just one legendary sword that you're capped at you you kind of you're kind of stuck so um yeah not super high on it as a commander yeah, very unfortunate. Yeah, and uh, honestly, um, you're going to hear say that a decent amount of time today, and 
I couldn't be happier <laughs> to say that. So um, there's a ton of flavor. Um, and actually, before we get too deep into this, a point we made last time was that uh, we both thought that like they were using the flavor as an excuse to kind of like tone down the power. Um, these are like cool, fun, flavorful designs that they they're pretty sure people are going to play with. Um, so they don't need to like crank the power level and kind of use that as a selling point for the set. And you are going to see today that that is 100% <laughs> what is going on with this set. Um, yes. Although there, there will be some notable exceptions, yes. such as this next commander. That is true. This next one is one of the exceptions. Uh, so this next card is Oswald Fiddlebender. It's one in the white for a 2-2 legendary creature gnome artificer. It has magical tinkering. You can pay white, tap it, sacrifice an artifact to search your library for an artifact card with mana value equal to one plus the sacrificed artifact's mana value, then put it onto the battlefield and shuffle. Activate only as a sorcery. Uh, so it's essentially a birthing pod for artifacts. And there are a lot of like artifact-based combos. There's several two-card combos that this can pretty easily pull together for you. Um, I just I have a rough list which we are going to post in the episode description if you want to check that out. Um, but like it's pretty easy to pull things together. Like you have access to Painter Servant and Grindstone. So uh, the interaction there is Painter Servant makes all cards in all zones a color, and Grindstone mills a player and for two cards, and they repeat the repeat the process if those two cards share a color. So essentially, like every activation of Grindstone, you mill out one player. So that's really easy to assemble. You can also pull together like Metalworker and um, like Staff of Domination or Metalworker and Umbral Mantle. Metalworker is going to tap for a bunch of mana because this deck has a ton of artifacts in it. Um, and then you can pay you can pay three to untap it and like net mana each time. So generate infinite mana and like infinite power and toughness with Umbral Mantle. Um, also infinite uh, activations of your commander because you get to, you know, once you have enough mana, you can start untapping him and, and searching out other things. And then Staff of Domination just does everything when you have infinite mana. So, and also there's other things like um, Winter Orb and Relic Barrier. Relic Barrier taps down artifacts. So what you can do is you tap the Winter Orb at, you know, the, the end step right before your turn, and then you get to untap all your lands, but your opponents are, are stuck in like Winter Hell. Um, the the lowest circle of hell, I guess. I've found that it's very very easy to assemble the combos. Like I've just kind of filled out the deck with a bunch of artifacts that like you know cost one or two mana, and they like draw a card when they enter the battlefield. Things like Arkham's Astrolabe or um, like Elsewhere Flask, and so you can pretty easily just like play them, get your card back immediately, sacrifice them to your commander, and get like one half of a combo. And the in the the testing I've been doing so far, the gold fishing, it seems like a like a pretty consistent turn for win if you're not disrupted. So <laughs> yeah. it seems very powerful to me. The only thing I'm gonna add to that is that like they went pretty deep on some of these references. Like Oswald Fiddlebender is from like a a a D and D like a version two D and D video game. <laughs> oh wow. So um I never have played it it was from like Icewind Dale or something like that and uh so he he's not like in specific adventure modules or anything like that um so this set really like pulled from 
a lot of places, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is pretty interesting. Um, and I guess, do you want to move on to this next guy? Sure. Uh, yeah, this next one is also a strong one, uh, but we promise they're going to get toned down over time. <laughs> yeah, pretty um, quickly. Uh, so this next one is Grazalax, uh, Illithid Scholar. One blue blue for a 3-2 legendary creature horror. Whenever a creature you control becomes blocked, you may return it to its owner's hand. Uh, and then whenever one or more creatures you control deal combat damage to a player, draw a card. So just a quick note on how that second ability works. Uh, you can actually get up to three, well, assuming you're playing in a four-person game, you can get up to three triggers. You can get one trigger per opponent. It works uh, kind of the same way that um, that Timna does or that uh, Anawan, the Ruin Thief, does. Like You can get, by spreading the, the love a little bit, uh, you can get more cards. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty strong. Like, honestly, like, both things like not losing blockers means you can just like attack with abandon mm-hmm. and you're pretty much if you have enough flying flying people mm-hmm. you're gonna draw some cards <laughs> and not lose any cards so yeah pretty good um i think this is just a good card even if you're not gonna play it as a commander like having another coastal piracy is never bad yeah i definitely uh like it as an additional coastal piracy if i'm running a deck like Kaikar or something that has a lot of tokens or small creatures with evasion um, or even like an Anawan the Ruin Thief deck I would probably consider running it in there because it's it's cheap it won't draw you as many cards as a coastal piracy but you know for three mana drawing up to three cards per round of turn seems pretty good uh, I will say that as you mentioned like this deck has a lot of flying people in it it really really looks like kind of edric without the green i think Mm -hmm. um because yeah you could build around the like you know whenever a creature you control becomes blocked you can return to its owner's hand but if you're really relying that on that then you're kind of like giving an opponent a choice as to what happens whereas and if like you know you play some creature with a really bonkers etb effect uh and then count on your opponent to bounce it to your hand they're just gonna let it hit them and draw a card and you're kind yeah. of in the same situation you would be if you had just played a flying man except you probably paid more mana for it uh it, i don't know i i think that just like relying on the second ability is probably the stronger and faster way to go rather than trying to do things with bounce because you don't really control the bounce and i think it's it's not going to work out as much as you want it to whereas like this default option of just drawing cards is pretty good. We we've seen several commanders that do this, and they're all strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it turns out drawing cards is uh is strong. It, I, indeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. New news. News at eleven. Uh, <laughs> we'll have more for you later on in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, what's this next commander we got? So this is uh another of the chromatic dragon cycle. This is uh Limrith Desert Doom. Oh, I think that might be an, an I, I before the Y. Imrith? Uh, Imrith? Imrith? I, huh. I think you're right. Let me, I'm going to double check that. Imrith. Yeah, we're going to have a lot of trouble with the pronunciation on some of these. So if you're a longtime D&D fan, please, you know, forgive us. Mea culpa. Uh, we're, we're kind of fumbling, you know, on hands and knees here. Uh, 
but go ahead and, and read. Maybe we'll skip past yeah. the name. What does the rest <laughs> the of the card do? <laughs> Keep going. So um I know I know this one is a she. So this is a five five flying dragon for five mana. Three oh. blue blue. Okay. Um Emrith <laughs> Desert Doom has ward four as long as it's untapped. Uh and whenever Imrith deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. Then if you have fewer than three cards in hand, draw cards equal to the difference. Um, so if you have no cards in hand, you drop to three whenever she hits somebody. So I don't know, how do you how do you feel about this? Um well, there's a a tiny bit of build around. Like if you give Imrith vi- vigilance, then like uh, you know, she's got ward four forever, or you can like just plan to untap her, you know, have your like Minamo school at water's edge at the ready. Um, and there's some things you can do to like help you farm that trigger a little bit. If you have like suspend cards or foretell cards, like things that you can get out of your hand, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or honestly just effects that like, uh, you know, cheap are cheap and useful. Like if you play a lot of, uh, mana rocks or something and you're able to to get them down and empty your hand so that you're drawing three cards a turn but you're also getting some tangible benefit out of it that seems good but overall this commander like doesn't seem like it creates much of a new archetype um, and and in no. some ways it kind of has anti-synergy with what blue normally wants to do like you're not going to be able to hold up counter spells and stuff if you're trying to keep your yeah. your hand small. Yeah, exactly. And there's a note I want to make about this card too. Um, the way Ward works, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm like 95% sure this is not wrong. Um, the way Ward works, if you have attacked with your blue dragon and she is tapped, um, and then someone casts a spell that targets her and you untap her in response, it's already too late. Oh, you're right. Ward. Triggered mm-hmm. ability. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So um, that's very important to know. Like, basically, you have to maintain priority, keep her untapped before anyone can do anything <laughs> to yeah. her. In that case, it may be best uh, just to give her vigilance rather than yeah. trying to untap her. Yeah. So Good that point. is Excellent. that is yeah a warning to those listening to this. Um, I mean, I don't think the untappers are bad because they're a lot cheaper in blue, but um, just be aware of timing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Timing is important. Um. And I agree. I think this card kind of goes with a lot of other cards, like uh, the next card we're going to talk about too. Where it's not really opening up design space. Like it might be a fine magic card, but it's nothing new. I don't think it's going to push anything out from uh, that's already being played. You know, so yeah, I think that's where she is, and I think that's where the next uh, commander is too. If we can move on, sure. Uh, this next card is Ebon Death Draco Lich. Uh, it is two black black for a five two legendary creature zombie dragon. It has flash flying and it enters the battlefield tapped. So you're not gonna really be able to surprise people and snag a creature with this. Yeah. yeah. Um you may cast Ebendeath Draco Lich from your graveyard if a creature not named Ebendeath Draco Draco Lich died this turn. Um mm-hmm. so essentially it's uh evasive you know five power creature that you can recur fairly easily um but i'm no i'm not really excited (laughs) about this i don't really care that much about having a five two or four yeah 
This definitely fits into the mono black squad. If you just put all the mono black commanders in a deck, it works pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, this even death fits right in. It's a it's even sack fodder. It's something the deck doesn't have a lot of. <laughs> so um, if you like not paying commander tax and you like doing mono black stuff, uh, even death will do some work for you. You know, um, yeah, definitely always have a four mana five two flyer. Uh yeah, it's I mean it's nice that it like works well regardless of your whether you're focusing on killing your opponent's creatures or mm-hmm. sacrificing your own. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with everything you said about it. Yeah, it it's like I I you're just gonna you're gonna be playing like attrition and it's gonna be your opponent's turn and you like sack Ebon Death to kill something, and then you sack another creature to kill something, and then you cast Ebon Death, and then you untap and you attack for five, like it's like not bad it's just like boring (laughs) yeah so there you go that's that's our black chromatic dragon here um and uh actually our next card is is pretty pretty cool (laughs) do we want to talk about this one sure um so this card is delina wild mage she is three and a red for a three two legendary creature elf shaman Whenever Delina Wild Mage attacks, choose target creature you control, then roll a d20. On a 1 through 14, you create a tapped and attacking token that's a copy of that creature, except it's not legendary, and it has exile this creature at end of combat. Uh, On a 15 through 20, it says create one of those tokens. So again, create a tapped and attacking token that's a copy of blah, blah, blah. Uh, But you get to roll again. So potentially get multiple copies if you're lucky enough. You can, uh, well, you can, you know, potentially win the game like, like right there. Yeah. Or if you're, there, there's like a weird bell curve on this where it's like, you know, if you're unlucky, oh, I only get one token. If you're really lucky, like, oh, I win the game. And if you're incredibly unlucky, uh, you actually can just like keep rolling. Or actually, prior to the errata, it would be possible <laughs> for you to. Uh, keep rolling and never actually finish this this ability never actually get to the part where you deal combat damage but they actually issued some day one errata for this card um now it's uh not now it is optional to roll again if you roll a 15 through 20 uh so you can't get caught in those loops where you are continually rolling hoping that you will be able to break the chain um because it actually was possible in AFR limited to make it statistically likely that you would just lock yourself um because yep. mm-hmm. there's a couple ways to basically give yourself advantage and make it so that you roll multiple dice and like discard the lower so and there's in fact a creature that does that so if you get enough copies of that creature out uh you would have been stuck in a position where you know you are just rolling dice until the end of time some good errata on the part of wizards <laughs> uh, a good decision yeah um, but how would you build around Delina? What do you think would go in this deck? Um, I mean, I think the obvious answer is like some of the really big, good, splashy red things. That's like the first thing I'd put in. So you're like Inferno Titans, your combustible gear hulks, you're like things that just give you a ton of value on the surface. But mm-hmm. at the same time, like there's a card we're going to talk about that ETBs and gives you a treasure, like stuff like that to help you get there or do other things. Like any utility t- creature, any ETB creature is probably pretty good. You're obviously like your dockside extortionist is gonna be 
um pretty gnarly <laughs> if you can get like three or four of them um and then i think you had mentioned uh one that do you want to talk about the an infinite combo yes uh so there's a one card combo with this commander assuming you can get in at one opponent um so port razor is a card recently printed in cmr and we made note of it at the time as like oh this seems like it would enable combos and uh didn't take very long before it yeah. started to do that. <laughs> yep. Um, so Port Razor is three red red for a four four creature orc pirate. When it deals combat damage to a player, untap each creature you control. After this combat phase, there is an additional combat phase. Port Razor can't attack a player it has already attacked this turn. Uh, so if you cast your commander on like turn four and then drop Port Razor on turn five, you could swing with her, make a copy of Port Razor that's attacking, hit whoever is open, and then that. Port Razor token copy will trigger, it will untap Delina, uh, it will exile itself at end of combat, and then you can do it again. So you can continue to hit that player, get additional combats. If you have any other creatures that can attack, especially ones with evasion, you could, you know, kill your other opponents in the process. Um, it seems pretty strong. It's not that easy to pull together because red, of course, does not have strong tutoring power, but it's something to be aware of. Also, if you're you're very lucky and you manage to get your Dockside Extortionist and your Aggravated Assault out, that's mm-hmm. another way you can go infinite. Yep, um, yep. Assuming you're making at least five treasures, then you can also get infinite combat steps in that way. And then I also want to, well, uh, I think those are the, the main things, but I really do like that Delina kind of comes down earlier and then, you know, you can play your more expensive creatures later and immediately get a copy. I think that's nice. Yeah, no, I think that's nice too. And it's funny, I I can't remember if we um we mentioned Port Razor when we were talking about Reonia from C twenty one. I'm sure we did. Yeah, I'm, we probably did. But they they play pretty similarly, even though you use very different cards in the decks. Like the payoff cards that you use are similar. So the Dockside Extortionist, the Inferno Titans, the like value creatures, whatever. But um, like in this deck uh we're gonna talk about more like dice roll cards and stuff like that um where in the reonia like you can do cool things like play threatens and that gives you more tokens so it's like even though you're playing with similar cards you're also playing with a different subset and i i think that's cool i think that's that's enough variation and like you said red has uh (laughs) problems tutoring so i never feel too bad playing some pretty aggressive combos in red because it's kind of like you have to look into it. Yeah, it's like, oh, it's turn 17 and we haven't won. And no one's won yet. And so now I can win and we can play the next game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I always feel a little bit better that way. But yeah, I, I actually really like Delina. Um, and uh, I think that... Oh, oh, actually, one last thing about... Not specifically about Delina. Is that uh, you might notice these dice roll cards uh, are pretty... Um, pretty similar to coin flips a lot of the time there's usually not necessarily a bad one um Mm. i guess we're gonna have more about this when we get to another commander in particular it's multiple colors deals with dice rolling but um they really tried hard to make it so that they don't feel bad so you don't just immediately like lose if you don't get the 10 or higher you know so yeah a lot of these mm mm-hmm Sorry, they they were definitely very careful in making it so that it's not like, oh, this 
you know, if you get less than a 10, it's terrible. And if you get 10 or greater, it's awesome. Yeah. Like the, the variance between the, the multiple modes of a, um, of a dice rolling card is usually pretty low from what we've seen so far. And in some cases, I actually think it might be too low. Like I've seen some dice rolling cards where it's like, clearly this is not going to matter during a lot of games. And in that case, you wonder like, well, why are they using dice rolling? at all yeah <laughs> but uh we'll, we'll get more into that later yeah well we will talk more about that there is this is not the last dice roll card we're going to talk about um yeah. and well, can i say sorry one more thing about delina before we go yeah of course yeah um so you may have noticed it's a little odd that this uh this elf is mono red oh um, yeah <laughs> and it seems like in this set uh color is mainly determined by class rather than by race like race is pretty much color agnostic in uh in this set which makes sense for dungeons and dragons but it is a little odd seeing that how do how do you feel about that um i am fine with it i think people see like creature types and they associate them with colors and they've done a good job of doing that over time with like iconics and like characteristic races so like merfolk is the small blue tribe sphinx is the big one stuff like that but I don't think that should preclude them from making like good cards that are flavorful or expanding into other colors. I think what's going to happen is that eventually there's going to be a set, like let's say like 10, 20 years from now, there's a set where the archetype is like red, green elves or something. You know what I mean? Like it, it just kind of slowly is going to carve out more space for them to use. And I think in particular with the Forgotten Realms, like like D&D is very good in the modern era of making sure that any character, any like ancestry that your character might have could kind of do any job. And you might not be the best at it, like might not want to play like a, a beefy goblin because you have a strength penalty and stuff like that. But you could, you could play like a goblin barbarian if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. And they make that a thing that like you can do so that there's kind of uh the choice is there and it's fun and you can kind of make what you want to happen so in this set in particular i think we're getting a lot of red mono red elves and uh mono black uh dwarves and and white orcs and yeah a lot of strange stuff yeah and i think that's specifically to like showcase that feature of D, but i actually don't necessarily like when it's just like one or two of like this it's like i'm not upset about it i guess okay uh well with that i think we can move on to the next commander uh do you mind if i read this off yeah this one's cool <laughs> uh so this is zalto fire giant duke it is three red red for a seven three legendary creature giant barbarian it has trample and whenever zalto deal sorry whenever zalto is dealt damage venture into the dungeon uh, so just to, I'm not going to spend too much time on this. We recommend listening to the previous episode in which we go a lot more in depth on dungeon or better yet, just pull up the dungeon cards uh, when you have a chance. But yeah. <laughs> uh, to venture in the dungeon essentially means you are going down one of these three paths uh, and, you know, you get the opportunities to make choices and those choices will give you different small rewards. Like it could be anything from gain one life or scry one uh, all the way up to draw three cards and you can cast one of them for free what what do you think about zalto uh what do you think is going to be good in this deck 
and what dungeon do you think you're going you're going to spend the most time in yeah um so i think this is actually a really cool trigger i think they're they did a super good job with this just like toning in the numbers because the fact that it's three toughness means that like one of the best things to run with Zalto are like pingers, but you kind of have to be smart <laughs> mm-hmm. about pinging Zalto too much or like giving him more toughness or indestructible or something like that. So that when you do ping Zalto, your pings basically just become like tap venture into the dungeon, um, which can be pretty good. And honestly, like there are certain cards like uh, Pyrohemia, which is uh, two red red enchantment. If there's no creatures, it dies and you can pay red to deal one to each creature and player. Um, that is pretty good with Salto. You can just kind of keep the ping going, keep venturing. Um, I would probably run like Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Uh, we kind of talked about this on the last episode. That one is the longest dungeon, but you kind of get the most tangible value out of it as you go through it. Um, yeah, if you're venturing a lot and you expect to be able to complete it then it's really good because you know the last couple the last couple triggers the last couple rooms are so strong and give you so much value they kind of make up for the like piddly things you're getting in the first couple rooms (laughs) yeah um so yeah i definitely think that because this is a commander that it's not that hard to farm that you can expect to complete the dungeon of the mad mage in like you know maybe like two turns then it becomes worth it to um to go for that one as opposed to something with like you know a shorter that like you can complete more easily but the rewards aren't as good and that isn't to say that you shouldn't run the other dungeons too if you're like oh man i really need some goblin blockers you could just kind of like zoom through the um one of the other cave of fandelver or something like that you know like like you can season to taste with your dungeons and Zalto. Like he's gonna give you enough venture that that it's possible. So um the other cool things about this card is that it's it's a five mana seven power trampler. <laughs> <laughs> and uh it's a giant and we just got a bunch of really cool giant tribal stuff in uh Kaldheim that actually is like pretty sweet <laughs> with Zalto. Like like you can like one shot, two shot people really effectively with this guy yeah um which is really rad (laughs) yeah i am so keen to it's like i i don't know like how well known this character is how established this is or if this is something new for uh D &D adventures in the forgotten realms but like it's they they tell you exactly what card to run in this deck like Zalto is a fire giant duke. Well, you should probably put fire giant's fury in the deck and see how it works out for you. Cause cause drawing nine cards for two mana seems strong to me. Yeah. And there's like the other giant that like gives your giants double damage and all the really good, efficient double strike cards that we've been getting. Um, mm-hmm. The unleash fury, the like two mana, double your power. There, there's a lot of things that can just kill someone out of nowhere now in red. Yeah, um, and I, so I I'm into it. Yeah, I think it's uh pretty easy to like get him coming down with haste, deal seven, next turn give him double strike. There, that's your twenty one. Yeah, <laughs> and on top of that, you probably ventured, which is pretty cool. So yeah, um, and pingers basically clear out anything that could get in the way. Um, pinging is notoriously good with death touch equipment. 
Oh yeah, um, yeah. If you're running a bunch of pingers in this deck, then you it probably would make sense to also run like Basilisk Caller or Gorgon's Head or Gorgon Flail or, or any of those things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Basically, um, I don't know if you can tell, but I love this guy. I did a quick Google because I did not know where he was from in particular, but I think he's just from some old adventure module. I don't know. Hmm. I think oh, he's from Storm King's Thunder, uh, which is. Oh, it's a 5e stuff. Okay, so he's a newer character. Okay. Well, that's cool. Interesting, yeah. <laughs> also, one one last little note, not specifically about Zalto. If I get something wrong, please let me know, because I play D&D, but I've always made my own stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I know tangentially from like shops or other groups I've been in, but I, I don't run a lot of the modules myself. I love D&D. It's a huge part of my life. But um, if I get something wrong, please let me know, because I would love to be right about the lore on these characters. <laughs> yes, definitely. Uh, like this next one, who I know almost nothing about. All right. Uh, this next one is Old Gnawbone. Five green green for a 7-7 seven, seven legendary creature dragon with flying. And whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, create that many treasure tokens. Uh so this one sparked up a, a little bit of controversy. Oh, yeah. Uh, and by that, I mean, I guess a lot of controversy. Um, <laughs> you know, people have been kind of holding out hope that treasures would be basically the way that non-green colors are able to ramp. Um, and so to see this green card get, you know, probably like the most aggressive treasure generation some of the most aggressive treasure generation we've seen since dockside extortionist was disheartening for some folks Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i I do want to point out that this is you know while treasure is like new technology like this basic execution is or like this basic effect is not something that's new to green um sakiko mother of summer is very very similar to this and she was printed all the way back in kamigawa um, Sakiko is four green green for a three three legendary creature snake shaman. Whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, add that much green to your mana pool. This mana doesn't uh, end or doesn't empty from your mana pool as phases and steps end. Uh, or sorry, until end of turn, this mana doesn't empty from your mana pool as phases and steps end. So essentially, um, it's something that already exists. Surprisingly, Sakiko only has about twenty four decks on EDH rec. So either it's not very strong or people have just completely forgotten about her and or just or maybe they just don't update their decks very often. There mm. there is some tech that is enabled because you're you're making treasure tokens rather than uh just adding the mana to your mana pool. Like what mm-hmm. what kind of things do you think work well in an old knobbone deck? Oh man, there's actually like a decent amount um I want to say first that my favorite tech, which is something I used to run in Popper all the time, is Fangreen Marauder. Oh, yeah. Um, so Fangreen Marauder is a 5-5 five, five for 6, uh, 5 and a green. And it has it's just a common from um, Scars of Meriden. And it says uh, whenever an artifact dies, whenever an artifact is put in a graveyard from the battlefield, uh, you may gain 5 life. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> just hitting with old Nawbone getting seven treasures and then sacking those seven treasures means you gain 35 (laughs) which is absolutely bonkers it's bizarre it's so strong it's so crazy but um on top of that you have like pretty like uh 
more well-known cards, uh, some that came out recently, like Academy Manufacturer. Obviously, doubling season is going to be good here. When is doubling season not good in a green deck? Though, you know, Parallel Lives, Primal Vigor, both work pretty well. Um, and then you get some like generic artifact synergies in the form of like Clark Clan Ironworks, the classic KCI. Um, and if you keep your treasures around for like a big turn or just to just to keep them around for whatever, Blink Moth Urn gives you a ton of mana. This is an artifact that uh, at the beginning of your main phase, it gives you a bunch of colorless for each artifact everyone controls. So, Or you control, but everyone gets it on their, their turn. So um, assuming that you have seven or more treasures, you just get seven generic to spend on whatever you want on your turn every turn. So um, pretty strong. <laughs> It's a lot of mana. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's definitely uh, really good. One more piece of tech I want to mention um, is Summoning Station. Uh, so Summoning Station is, is part of that grand machine from Fifth Dawn. Um, and it's seven mana for an artifact. Tap, create a 2-2 colorless pincher creature token. And whenever an artifact is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, you may untap Summoning Station. So... You know, similar case, let's say you hit with your uh, old Gnawbone, you get seven treasures, uh, then you can tap the summoning station seven times and sack your seven treasures and, and uh, to untap it. So basically you get one pincher every time you sacrifice an artifact. And even though seven mana is a lot for summoning station, like you're going to have a crazy amount of mana with this deck. It's so, it's going to be so, so easy to just spurt out tokens at a, a really good rate so even if like fangered marauders oh six mana and like summoning station oh, seven mana it's like no i don't think mana is going to be an issue at all in this deck yeah um so um, to get back to a point you made earlier to the sakiko uh has been around for a long time and i honestly do think that like a lot of people looked at old kamigawa legends and either forgot about them or like they are they're kind of underpowered mm-hmm. <laughs> like Sakiko is a three three four six um which is does that doesn't look uh uh <laughs> pretty good yeah even though this card has existed and i'm pretty sure like you were correct in that they're using this Sakiko and the fact that green is good at ramping as like a way to um justify yeah, justify this, but but I I am one of the people who is like upset that green gets treasure and green has been getting treasure the last few sets. I think there's a really big difference between like an Omnath effect and, and like a Sakiko effect where like the mana just doesn't empty and like having this extra hook of treasure, which even though it like is technically the same, there's just like a lot of different handholds. Like like we kind of mentioned the fact that Fangren Marauder and like blink moth urn and stuff all work really well with it the summoning station like that is actually really cool that now you can really abuse this but treasure's been something that's been bolstering other colors and it seemed like a really good fit for the colors that don't get the same type of just uh consistent ramp spells in every set that green gets mm-hmm. so it just kind of feels bad it feels disingenuous and it, and it feels kind of tone deaf when like all of the conversation around the color pie has been that green continues to get more and more and more and uh other colors are kind of falling <laughs> behind it so 
I don't think this is going to be game breaking, but I do think it's tone deaf to print a card that makes treasure this efficiently in green and not in some other color, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I, I think it's worth noting that um, I, I read that Old Gnawbone was an existing character. Uh, it's a green dragon that hoards treasure. Mm-hmm. So this is like a flavorful ex- execution of something. And in a way, Wizards has kind of been boxed into a corner and they're doing a little bit of... I think they're like pushing the boundaries of a color pie a little bit just in mm-hmm. order to make things work because they really, really don't want to confuse the D&D players. Yeah. Like, like even if making a... Even if they think that making treasure tokens is really more of a red thing, um, they can't have players come to the game and like look for this green dragon and then not understand like why is this green dragon red why am i paying red mana to summon a green <laughs> dragon like, yeah they, they even though like mechanics have a meeting within the cost the color pie like they just want this to this set to make sense for D players even at the at the cost of confusing magic players at times yeah and and that's actually really just to kind of spin off of that a little bit like Old Nabone is kind of a newer character and they ran a crime syndicate. And I know that just from the adventure module that it, that Old Nabones was part of. And that's kind of the same with like at the very beginning, we talked about Icing Death. Um, like these chromatic dragons are evil. And if we were like going to do the thing that Mara does where like people will throw like MCU characters at him and be like, what color is this character? They would all like, even though this is a green dragon, he's, he's black, you know, mm-hmm. like. This color identity is black. He'll do anything for power. That's pretty much his defining feature. Yes, he has acid breath and like green scales, but that doesn't actually mean that like he follows the green philosophy. <laughs> yeah. And it's exactly like you said, if a D&D player came into this game and they saw old Nawbone, the green dragon was a black card, they'd be like, why is my green dragon a black card? Or icing death, the white dragon. If they saw the white dragon was a black card, they'd be like, what? <laughs> like, why is this card not the color I think it is? So they are, you're exactly right. Like, they've, they've kind of boxed themselves in, and we're seeing these designs on these characters who don't specifically follow the color pie just because they're so splashy and memorable for the players of this other game that they're hoping to bring into Magic. So, yep. yeah, just a little little point there for people. It's a, It's kind of a weird byproduct of this kind of top-down stuff that they're kind of putting themselves in one other thing i I know we're spending a lot of time on one card and this is going to be a very (laughs) long episode yeah (laughs) but there's one other thing i want to mention in the in the set prior to this one in strixhaven we got belladross witherbloom uh, a seven mana dragon that has the ability to pay 10 life and untap all your lands um do you think it's intentional that they are making it so that like the more expensive commanders, especially the more expensive green commanders, are able to basically refund their cost. Like Belladross is, you know, you, you cast her, you immediately untap your lands. Old Gnawbone, assuming it doesn't die immediately, you're probably going to get back its mana cost just from like... The, Attacking that turn. Yeah, from that combat step. Yeah. Um. So do you think that that's, you know, do you think that like two points is, is not really enough to draw a conclusion here? Or do you think that this is something they're trying. Hmm, that is a good point. I haven't thought about. I I would say that it might be something that they're just kind of like trying to do. I think we're gonna have to see what the next set brings. But um, 
I think they know that that's what green players like. (laughs) (laughs) And they might be leaning into it. Um, So I'm going to go out on a limb and say that this is maybe a trend that we're going to see moving forward. Like expensive commanders in green, but they, like you said, do refund you uh, some or all of the mana. So uh, what's the next set was going to be Innistrad? Innistrad. Innistrad sets. So yeah, we'll see if there's like a werewolf that like <laughs> gives you a bunch of mana back or something. And I, I if, mean, we'll we'll see. They they've already got at least one werewolf slot locked up for the werewolf tribal commander. That's true. <laughs> yeah. But keep an eye out for that. It might be something because like I'm sure they know that there's been downward pressure on the the cost of commanders and like the more expensive commanders are seeing less play than they used to. So maybe they're just trying to make it so that okay, I know how to make it so that they'll play a seven drop commander. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's what it is in a big way. Um, Speaking of really expensive. Yeah. Let's move on to this next card. There's, there's some points that I want to make when we're done with all the legends, which we're almost kind of not really, but we're almost (laughs) there. Um, So I guess this is the Tarask. Um, This is the, the Mondo game like big bad for your D&D campaign made into a magic card. It's like the highest uh challenge rating of any. Yeah, CR 30 uh, <laughs> which for um for non-D&D players uh challenge rating CR is like a party of 4 of that level should be able to like like appropriately be challenged by this monster and in D&D most characters cap out at level 20. So the, <laughs> the idea that the Tarasca's challenge rating 30 means that like this guy means business. Like <laughs> like there's literal like religions in the Forgotten Realm that are based around like this this like just bestial gargantuan force of nature um that basically is lying dormant through most campaigns. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but what do you think uh well I don't know let's let's read them out and then we'll talk about like what if they if they executed on him well or not. <laughs> so yeah, so the Tarask is a dinosaur, which I actually think is a great choice. And he is a 10-10 for nine mana, six green, green, green. The Tarask has haste and ward 10 as long as it was cast. When the Tarask attacks, it fights target creature, defending player controls. And and that's it. That's all that's all he's got. What <laughs> I don't know. What do you what do you think about this guy? Well, I guess like my first question is if this is challenge rating 30 then like what is Emrakul? What is Emrakul that you I know? know? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, totally agree. It it um a lot of people have noted, I mean, prior to us talking about it here that this just is a pretty weak execution on the Tarask and they got some things right like the Tarask like reflects magic spells, so like ward 10 is basically that, you know, like what mm-hmm. what is getting through ward 10 like not much um like you're not going to kill spell this guy at least the turn it was cast Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it it just it doesn't even have trample and this thing is like as big as most like towns in D &D, and it doesn't have trample and that seems like it's a pretty easy thing to put on your nine drop you know like yeah like you can see in the art it's just like stepping on buildings it's like please tell me how a one one squirrel gets in the way of this yeah <laughs> yeah exactly so I, I think it's a pretty bad execution i think it's um it's just underwhelming so 
I hate this like you know cast restriction on this card. Like for I, I mean for a nine mana commander, like good god. Uh, yeah, it's it's just gonna sure it'll like eat one creature a turn and and turn sideways, but. Compared to old Nawbone, like old Nawbone will have made like a hundred mana and activated his Helix Pinnacle by the time you're casting the Tarras. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty bonkers. Um and it's a mythic, so it's not like this is gonna ruin a bunch of limited games if it had trample, you know? It's like if I spend nine mana in a game of limited, like I should probably win. <laughs> mm-hmm. If I spend nine mana on a creature that has just been sitting in my hand since like turn two or something like that, it's like, hmm, I this card probably should do a lot of work in the same way that like Magma Opus like would just wreck games of limited. It's like, well, I did wait like till turn 12 before I could cast this eight drop spell. Like, I hope it does something big for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean. I guess maybe they are afraid of like reanimator strategies and like modern or something. But I really think that they probably should have. Well, maybe here's a question. Do you think it is better for players coming to magic from D&D if the Tarrasque is like 15 mana, like basically uncastable in most games of magic, um, but it meets their expectations in terms of like if you ever manage to get it out, it's un- it's practically unbeatable. Or is it better if it's something like this, where it's like, you could probably, I mean, you could you could cast this in a game of Commander and it'll do some stuff and maybe in like, in like a pretty low-powered playgroup, it'll be a, a challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that isn't to say that like this isn't, you're not going to cast it sometimes and like no one will have a kill spell and it's not going to do a lot of work for you. It's not going to eat every Commander at the table or something. But I I don't want to put that kind of onus on my opponents not having something if I'm spending nine mana. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's just sad. That's how I feel about this. Okay. Well, let's move on to the next commander. Um, which is not sad. Which is not sad. Uh, this is Varus Silvery Moon Ranger. One GG for a 3-3 legendary creature, human elf ranger. It has reach, ward one. And whenever you cast a creature or planeswalker spell, venture into the dungeon. This ability triggers only once each turn. And whenever you complete a dungeon, create a 2-2 green wolf creature token. Uh, what do you think about this commander? What would you run in this deck? Um, what are your thoughts? So I actually can't decide if I want to run Varus as the commander and put Yeva in the deck. Or put Yeva in the deck and run Varus as the commander. Um, so Yeva is from one of the core sets. It was it's a four four for four, a green card, and it gives your green creatures flash. Um, and she has flash herself. The restriction on Varus is this ability triggers once per turn. So when you have Yeva out and you have Varus out, that means every turn you can at least venture one time. And if you're running like Caves of Fendelver and stuff like that, that's pretty much a whole run of a of a dungeon by the time it gets back to your turn so that on its own might be worth it but there's also more tech too so other things that work in addition to yeva like i think we called out yeva specifically because it's really easy to tutor up a creature in green but other things that also work like vidalcan orrery works great vivian champion of the wilds uh you know a little fragile because it's a planeswalker um but that would also work Alurin helps you with with the cheap ones although notably it is symmetrical 
Uh, and then another symmetrical one is Vernal Equinox. Uh, so Vernal Equinox is three and a green for an enchantment. Um, basically, every player's enchantments and creatures have flash. So that will definitely help you get Varus, but you just be careful not to get blown out. Like, don't attack into someone with a bunch of open mana. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there, there's definitely a lot, of, a lot of ways to make it happen. Fortunately, because you're in green, you have access to a lot of cheap mana dorks, like small creatures that give you something valuable mm-hmm. uh, and which will allow you to, to trigger Varus when you're casting them bunch of them in a round of turns and also notable is like i would if you have a yevajek i would just slam dunk varus in there. yeah like <laughs> like i think varus is a great card in the yeva list and, and yeva is the best card in a varus list and it, you know if you want a headcanon that they are uh partners if you want a headcanon that they are uh are are more than friends please do so yes <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, because honestly, that they're probably, probably they're a pretty good team. You know, yeah, pretty good. I think if they ever met each other, they would, they would get each other. You know, yeah, they they just like they'd feel that connection. Um, and now we're on to the multicolor commanders. Um, a lot of uncommons for the build arounds for the set, and then some uh some rares and stuff. So I guess we'll just keep on keep on trucking. <laughs> hmm. Uh, sure. Let's let's go with Hama Pashar. Ruin Seeker or, or Hama Pashar? Yeah, Hama, I think. Yeah, I, I'm going to go with Hama because it, it sounds, sounds a little better than Ham. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hama Pashar Ruin Seeker. One white blue for a 2 3 legendary creature human wizard. Room abilities of dungeons you own trigger an additional time. So we've seen some other commanders that care a bit more about like completing a dungeon. Hama is, is more about the journey. Mm-hmm. Not super high on this um, we know for a fact that the c21 dungeon deck is esper colored so i think that this might be a bit better like in the 99 of that deck than as its own commander mm-hmm. mostly because like the rate on venturing in most adventures in the forgotten realm cards is not that good and so <laughs> if your commander isn't doing it then it's you're going to be playing like a lot of really subpar crappy cards to venture and and even if you're getting double triggers like the first couple of rooms in any dungeon are are not great like mm-hmm. you're gonna gain two life instead of one or you're gonna scry two instead of you know if your commander doesn't venture getting through like dungeon of the mad mage which is like by far the best payoff seems really really challenging to me mm-hmm. yeah you're gonna really have to rely on drawing the correct cards and casting them and abusing them, which also relies on drawing the right cards that will let you abuse them. Yeah, it, it just seems really tough. There are some venture commanders that I'm excited to build around, and Hama is seems like the bottom of the barrel in terms of venture commanders. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't know if she's like a really <laughs> cool character in the, the lore. Yeah, no clue. Yeah. Um, I do want to say that uh, even though I'm not excited about Hama, um, I do think it is. Uh, it's nice that they are printing different ways to like approach dungeons and venture. So I think that this card existing is cool, even if I think it's kind of a miss as a commander. Um, and like you said, I would probably put it in the Esper commander deck that we're going to talk about next week. Uh, wink, wink. Nudge, nudge, everybody. Oh, absolutely. 
And I think we can get on to the next next person. Sure. Uh, do you want to read this one off? Sure. This is uh, Crydell. Cry- Creedel. <laughs> I know people are know who this is because this is from Baldur's Gate, which is like very popular. Cry- I'm going to say Crydell and everyone can yell at me. Uh, please yell at me on the internet. Um, this is a 1-1 elf. Sorry. A 1-1 human elf rogue for blue-black. So a 2-mana 1-3. Um, also, well... It's a it's a human elf row because it's a half elf. When Crydell oh, I deals get into com- that in a minute, but sorry. Oh yeah, 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 definitely. When Crydell of Baldur's Gate deals combat damage to a player, that player loses one life, mills a card, then you gain one life and scry one. Whenever you attack, you may pay two generic. If you do, target creature can't be blocked this turn. Um, so this actually is pretty rad. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is kind of what I wanted. Um. I wanted like Tetsuko Umezawa to be mm-hmm. like this is you know pretty decent rate for making things unblockable and of course you're on color for things like Brutus the Veiled, Phage the Untouchable, Raving Dead. There's some really powerful combat damage triggers out there, and um, it's nice that this guy will help you get in there and like just take some players out pretty easily. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, also, it's Cry Dull. I've just found out. Oh, great. Um, like C-R-Y-D-U-L-L. Um, so cry doll, everybody. There it is. We did it. I've tried to make like a saboteur deck a few different times. Um, and you're kind of, I mean, and this sounds worse than I want it to. You're kind of screwed because you have to play with these like kind of mediocre creatures that don't give you anything the turn that you play them. <laughs> Uh, which can be a problem when like your board gets wrath and stuff like that. So I've, I've tried to use the blue ones before because you get counter spells to counter the wraths and kill spells and things like that. And it's always kind of like an uphill battle. But I actually think that Crydol here is, is like you said, like probably the best execution on this. And it's on an uncommon in the Forgotten Realms set, which is which is really cool, actually. <laughs> like, like uh, it really doesn't take much to just make a commander that makes a subset of cards work and i think that this is uh this is part of that and the fact that it's two mana the fact that the activation is really cheap that crydol doesn't need to attack like himself it's great all of it's great i totally agree uh one thing i want to say is um i like how they're doing this human elf uh like technology to to represent half elves one thing i was curious about though like we've it's my understanding that um, orcs are not normally playable or like not playable as part of the base game of Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. but half orcs are. Yeah, um, and we've seen orcs in the set, but they don't have the human type line. So why do you think it might be that we get human elves but not human orcs? I, I honestly have no clue. Someone made that call, it seems like, and I don't know exactly why. <laughs> yeah. Just as perplexed as you are, because I, I remember seeing like one of the paladins. It's like one of the like limited, like uncommons or something like that, and it's a orc paladin, orc knight. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I just kind of accepted it and moved on because I I don't really have an explanation for like why they would do that. Yeah, well, unless right. they just didn't want orc tribal. Maybe they want you to be able to mutate onto it or something. That's true. Uh, being a human now is a significant drawback. Mm-hmm. Um, 
All right. Uh, I think we can move on to the next commander, though. Do you mind if I read yes. this off? Yeah, go for it. So this is Xanathar, Guild Kingpin. Four blue-black for a 5-6 legendary creature, Beholder. At the beginning of your upkeep, choose target opponent. Until end of turn, that player can't cast spells. You may look at the top card of their library anytime. You may play the top card of their library, and you may spend mana as though or mana of any color to cast spells this way. What do you think about this commander? Wow, I didn't know, I didn't expect, I guess I should say, Send Triplets 2.0, but I think they uh, they messed up the interface a little bit there, you know? Mm-hmm. Something something got crossed. Uh, the sequel's not as good as the original, I guess you could say. <laughs> Um, yeah, because this is pretty much send triplets, but you're missing a color, and it's just not as good. <laughs> yeah, like like playing off of the top of their library, you know, you can get stuck if they just have two lands in a row, and also you're not really costing them anything. Um, whereas with send triplets, if you're casting cards out of their hand, like you are ripping them away, uh, you can really mess people up in that sense. So like getting hit by a Xanathar doesn't actually hurt that bad, which you know, kind of sucks considering this is more mana for the mm-hmm. effect and less colors. Uh, so I don't love it. Yeah, um, it's. I'd say it's a more fun design, but I feel like maybe they could have gotten, maybe been more aggressive with the mana cost at the very least. Yeah, or at least given us like a discount, like the they cost two generic less or something. Oh, yeah, you know, something sweet. like that would have been, I think, worth the. The mana investment on the front end um and also like it doesn't have evasion which i get it he's behind a bunch of couches he's stuck in this little house <laughs> you know whatever but um yeah just feels weird yeah well uh i will mention that like a lot of the tech that works well in send triplets decks uh is also good here um, paradox haze gives you a second upkeep so you can choose another player and potentially cast spells off their library um Stryonic resonator gives you copy the trigger and get and target another player that way sphinx of the second sun will give you another ep, un, will give you another untap draw and upkeep step at the end of your turn uh, and then there's a couple ways to just like get a peek at the top card of people's libraries with like lantern of insight wizens and snitches uh fields of dreams all of these um make people play with the top card of their library revealed so you can get a little bit of preview of who you should pick with your Xanathar. Uh, but that's that's kind of all the the tech I have. Um, overall, I'm not incredibly excited to build this commander. Yeah, this is a very fair control list. I don't yeah. even know if it's a control list per se. You know, it's just a very fair commander. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess that gets on to our our next commander, which is um, Kalane Reclusive Painter. So this is a one two human elf bard for black red. They have, when Klain Reclusive Painter enters the battlefield, create a treasure token. And other creatures you control enter the battlefield with an additional plus one, plus one counter on them for each mana from a treasure spent to cast them. Um, wow, that's actually that's pretty, that's pretty good for a two drop. <laughs> <laughs> Another half elf. And also, uh, is this our first bard we're talking about? Uh, this is the first bard, I believe, yeah. Yeah, so there are bards in this set. There's a few um, D&D classes that have become magic creature types now, and bard is one of them. Yeah, so, they just introduced know. ranger in Modern Horizons 2, but they're really blowing it out for this set. And, and mm-hmm. yeah, as you mentioned, bard is 
uh, now officially a magic creature type. Mm -hmm. So how do you feel about this as a commander? Uh, I'm not very high on it. Um, I don't think that making treasures is that easy uh, mm -hmm. in, well, in black-red. Um, like most of the repeatable, or most of the best repeatable gener token or treasure token generation is, uh, I mean, you've got like Smothering Tithe, uh, you've got Hole Breacher, you've got Tireless Provisioner, and now Old Gnawbone. Uh, in black, you have Revel in Riches, so that's something. Mm -hmm. um, and you also have Pitiless Plunderer. But, you know, those things kind of come down later. It's it's not something that just kind of naturally happens over the course of the game. It's something you kind of got to work for, like draw the few good treasure token generators. Um, and this reward you're getting for it doesn't seem that great. It's hard to assemble treasures, and you would really need to have a lot of them for this, the plus plus one counters to become truly significant and like worth all of the work that you're doing. Uh, so that's, that's kind of where I'm at. There, there are some things you can do to sort of magnify the effect of those plus one plus one counters. Like if you're putting, like putting a plus one plus one counter on some random creature is going to count a lot less than a plus one plus one counter on like an infect creature. So that's kind of one thing I was thinking. Overall, I'm, I'm not so high on Lane. Yeah. The thing about Klain that I think is, uh, I say Klain, <laughs> the thing about Klain is, uh, that a lot of the things in black and red that make a lot of treasure, as you mentioned, are like five mana. You have like gold span dragon. You have like brasses bounty. You know, like there's just not a lot of, like you said, ways to consistently create it, which means that you're just going to get good big bursts at like higher mana costs, which means that you're not really going to get to use Kalein the first few turns of the game, which is what it seems like. Uh, like kind of the card kind of is whispering this promise to you like i'm a two drop like you can get this thing really early and that might be true in limited like getting a four four ahead of curve is a lot bigger deal in limited than it is in in commander you know mm -hmm. where in commander you're like maybe one of your creatures is like one or two power and toughness bigger but it's not really going to be till late game that you're really seeing significant boosts on the creatures that you're playing <laughs> I, I just don't think it's very strong but uh i can see why people would like that people like like feeling clever about stuff like that or like treasure and stuff so i don't think this is gonna see no play but i, I don't think it's gonna be very strong yeah uh with that i think i'm ready to move on to the next one yeah right uh so this is orcus prince of undeath X, two, black, red for a legendary creature demon. It's a 5-3 flying trample. And when Orcus enters the battlefield, choose one. Each other creature gets minus X, minus X until end of turn, and you lose X life. Or return up to X target creature cards with total mana value X or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. They gain haste until end of turn. Um, so it seems like a really big mana outlet commander what do you think about this guy yeah um i mean if ever there is a deck for um cabal coffers <laughs> this is <laughs> this is one of them the flexibility is really interesting to me having like a commander that is 
a board wipe. I don't exactly know how to feel about that. Um, it's because, I mean, you, you definitely aren't going to be blocked by your 5-3 flying trample once this guy comes down for a big enough X, but it's like so much mana to do so. And then as like a reanimation outlet again, it's like it's a lot of mana to get like a significant advantage off of this because for let's say you're doing eight mana to get four power or four like mana value of creature back. Um, what are those creatures or what is that creature and like how much value are you getting out of it other than just the fact that you kind of cast it for free with your commander? So this seems strong. I don't think these abilities are bad. It just seems like a a lot <laughs> in a in Rakdos to be able to do stuff like that. Yeah, I'll I'll tinker around to the list, and uh, you know, if I come up with something good, I'll post it in the episode description so you can take a look at that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we can move on to this next one if you're good. Sure. Oh man, uh, you want to read this one? Sure. <laughs> So this is Targnar Demonfang Knoll. This is a 2-2 Knoll for red-green, just two mana. They have Pack Tactics, which is uh, it's a flavor text-like signifier, but there's a few cards in the set with Pack Tactics. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever Targnar Demonfang Knoll attacks, if you attacked with creatures with total power 6 or greater this combat, attacking creatures get plus 1, plus 0 until end of turn. And then uh, he has an activated ability. Two red-green double Targnar's power and toughness until end of turn. So this is one of the uncommons in the set. This is kind of like pointing you in a direction. Uh, hint, hint, nudge, nudge. You want to attack with six power of dudes in in uh, red-green in limited. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I guess. So how do you feel about this guy? Because I, I know how I feel about him. <laughs> uh, I'm not very excited about this at all Uh, yeah it just doesn't really speak to me I I don't think that the rates on any of these abilities are anything that's going to really scale well to commander Um, I'm not not really interested in this guy Yep. I I think that's kind of where I'm going to leave it to I think that the the buff is not strong enough and you can uh, more efficiently double creatures powers and there are better creatures to whose power you should double than targnar so mm-hmm. i'm just gonna keep on moving because i i like the next one a lot better <laughs> all right uh, you, you can go ahead and read it off sure so this next card is trailacera moon dancer so trailacera moon dancer is a 2-2 elf cleric for two mana green white whenever you gain life put a plus one plus one counter on Trailacera, Moon Dancer, and Scry One. So, a thing about this is it's another life gain reward. It's a life gain reward tied to green. We just had Wither Bloom. They want these cards to play well together. And this is going to look a lot like Karlov. The difference is you get green instead of black. Um, and in doing so, when you put green in the mix instead of black, you get a lot of those draw equal to power spells. So in the same way that Karlov gets pretty big pretty fast when you have all these like little effects that just give you one life at a time, makes Karlov pretty big pretty quickly. Um, that's what's going to happen here with Trailasara. But the payoff for doing so is that you just get to refill your hand. <laughs> so uh, I think 
that even though this isn't really opening up any new design space, you're not really using any new cards that don't see play already, you are going to get a pretty good deck out of this. It's definitely going to grow quickly, not as quickly as Karlov, um, or, or rather, their, uh, it does not grant itself as many counters as Karlov does, but Black didn't really offer a whole lot for getting counters on Karlov unless you were going an, an Aristocrats route. Um, but green has a ton of cards that will just get you an insane number of triggers with Felisara. Um, so in addition to like the white Soul Sisters cards, you get Essence Warden. So basically just another one of those, which are which is great, which is one of the best cards in the Karlov deck. Um, you also get a whole lot of cards that have like landfall, gain one life. So you can trigger that one to two times per turn pretty easily, like Forcer of Crufix, uh, Jaddy Offshoot, Kazandu Nectarpot. Um, and then there's a couple things that kind of care about what your opponents are doing that just seem really, really crazy. So, for example, uh, one of them is Life Gift. Uh, so Life <laughs> Gift is an enchantment or two in a green, whenever a land enters the battlefield, you may gain one life. So that also includes your opponent's lands entering the battlefield under their control. Um, so you're going to get probably like, a, I feel like a minimum of four triggers per round of turns. That's a lot of scrying. That's a lot of counters. Um, and then similar vein, like kind of caring a bit about what your opponents are doing. There's two cards that uh, are both seem like they have a lot of potential. Um, so one of them is uh, Thought Leech. So Thought Leech is um, green, green for an enchantment. Whenever an island an opponent controls becomes tapped, you may gain one life. Uh, so if you have any blue opponents like at, at all, it seems like this is going to trigger a lot per round of turns. And then the other one, like the real whammy, is... Um, Roots of Life. So Roots of Life is one green green for an enchantment. As it enters the battlefield, choose island or swamp. Whenever a land of the chosen type an opponent controls becomes tapped, you gain one life. So this one, like, you know, you actually have a little bit more control over it. And I, I feel like you're almost certain to to get at least one opponent in one of these colors. And if that's the case, like tons of life, tons of triggers every single turn. And of course, like Urborg does not have a black color identity. You could actually run an Urborg in your list as just a way to activate your roots. You know, it's a colorless land and it has the ability to activate your roots of life and just make it so that every single land your opponents tap uh, gains you one life. So uh, this seems great. Um, I think the green really helped the color identity here. And uh, it seems like a, a really neat sort of Voltron-y commander. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel too. I think there's just enough cool tech that uh, you are going to have a great time with it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, speaking of enough cool tech that you're going to have a good time with, it, <laughs> <laughs> um, this next card is Barwin of Clan Under. Uh, yes, you heard that right. Uh, they are a dwarf cleric. They are a 3-3. Three, three. They cost four mana, two white, black, and they have two abilities. 
When Barwin of Clan Under enters the battlefield, venture into the dungeon. And whenever Barwin of Clan Under attacks, return up to one creature card with mana value three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield if you've completed a dungeon. Um, hey, that looks pretty similar to a pretty good card that I put in a lot of decks. <laughs> um, what do you think about this guy? Uh, I, I like which which card specifically are you thinking about? Just I mean, uh, just Sun Titan. I think it looks like <laughs> Sun Titan. Uh, no, this this seems great. Um. This is a an interesting commander. This is sort of like illustrates the the difference in the limited archetypes um, between white black and white blue. Like white blue is more about you know as I said the the journey. Uh, it's just about venturing. the The white black one is more about like did you complete a jun- dungeon? Okay, now let's talk business. Um, so with Barrowin, it's really much more important that you clear one dungeon, and so for that reason, I actually think that. Uh, like the Lost Mine of Fandelver, or even, um, or even the Temple of Annihilation, are a better choice than Dungeon of the Mad Mage because the like, you know, if 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 you haven't completed a dungeon, Barrowin is kind of just like a vanilla creature with like an ETB trigger. It's it's very whatever. But getting him up to the point where he's reanimating creatures, that's what really makes the deck tick because there are so many sweet value creatures in this color identity i'm not going to bother to list them all but there's like yeah. four different plague crafter variants and they just <laughs> sort of like put your opponents under the abyss if you're doing that every turn They're, i mean whatever you know there's there's good small creatures in both of these colors um and so really i think you're building this deck to get Barrowin going really you're running every kind of venture card you can that's like reason that comes at like a reasonable rate i also think it makes sense to run some blink effects just to like blink barrow in a couple times just to get you through that dungeon and then the rest of the deck is just like the creatures you plan to reanimate and like maybe some other reanimation engines um that also will will help get them onto the battlefield like sun titan is, is great here of course yes yeah definitely i think it is cool that they're kind of leaning in. This this will be something that comes up later on in the episode too. I think I think it's cool they're leaning into the white blink as a thing. Uh, I love seeing another like white card that reanimates small things. Um, and, and I guess Barwin's black too, so you also get regular reanimation. But um, this is just a cool card. I'm I'm into this. And uh, again, this is an uncommon. Or I guess I didn't say that the first time, but this is one of the uncommons. So I'm I'm very happy with the design space they put on these uncommon creatures in this set um yeah i think it's really sweet it's pretty red um do you want to read this next one or should i should i do it uh go for it okay so this is shisra death's whisper this is a one three human elf warlock for four mana two black green and they have two like flavor text abilities the first one is bewitching whispers when Shesra, Shisra, sorry. When Shisra, Death's Whisper enters the battlefield, target creature blocks this turn of Able. And then they have Whispers of the Grave. At the beginning of your end step, if a creature died this turn, you may pay two life. If you do, draw a card. So, uh, yeah, what, what do you think about this card? So I don't love that the... Um... The forced block is an ETB thing because yeah, <laughs> that you know it's 
you're gonna have to put in work in order to make that happen more than once. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There are some creatures that like in in this color identity that can basically like take out whatever you're you're forcing to block. Like if you have a Glissa, um, Glissa the Traitor, it's got first strike and death touch. So you force you choose something that has to block. You send in your Glissa. Glissa will do the dirty work for you. Um, Ophiomancer makes a 1-1 snake with death touch that like replenishes itself each upkeep so you can send that in use that to assassinate whatever and then you know if it dies in combat who cares you get another one the next turn um the like the second trigger the one that actually happens kind of reliably uh i'm not that in love with it because there's and and we're we're going to touch on this more later but it's just at the beginning of your end step so it only happens once per round of turns. So that's mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. not a great effect. It it doesn't it doesn't really make me want to work that hard or make me want to build around this commander. Yeah, because like one card is is not awesome. There's there's so many powerful things you could be doing in, in this color identity. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think did you say it looks like Cheville or Cheville? I I did not say that, but so go ahead. It, it does like the bane of monsters, the one three death touch for black green from uh, Coria, uh, and he has at the beginning of your upkeep, you can put a bounty counter on a creature or planeswalker an opponent controls, and whenever or if there is no bounty counter on a creature or planeswalker an opponent controls, put one on one, and then whenever a creature with a bounty counter or whenever a creature or planeswalker with a bounty counter dies, you draw a card and gain some life. Um, so basically, it's it's very similar. It's like you get a reward for doing a thing, but the reward is one card a turn cycle. Um, the difference is that that guy is two mana, <laughs> and uh, Shizra is four mana. So yeah, I just agree with you. I don't think this is the craziest value, especially at four mana, but this is an uncommon, um, so I can forgive them uh, this, this one time. Um, and this, I don't know if you want to say anything else, but this next card is a card that I know a lot of people are not forgiving wizards for. Yeah, I, I will read this one off. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is Gretchen Titchwillow. She is green-blue for a 0-4 legendary creature halfling druid. She has two green-blue draw a card. You may put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield. Um I don't know about you. This this looks familiar to me. I can't quite place it though. Oh man. Um Yeah, if only there is there's a green blue like like a Simic commander for two mana that had a four mana activation that like drew me a card and or got me extra value sometimes. I don't know. Do you think do you think there's Yeah, I know like, what like if, like like usually when I'm evaluating cards I like try to compare them to things in the past but I really can't think of anything like like Gretchen Titchwillow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no nothing. Yeah, this is um the Thrasios we have at home. I think is the joke everyone's been using. Yeah. Um this is uh nowhere well it's not I wouldn't say it's nowhere near as powerful. I would just say it's not as powerful because this doesn't have partner and Thrasios does. Yeah, and of course like <laughs> Thrasios is an outlet for infinite colorless mana. Mm-hmm. This, this requires colored mana if you're trying to go infi with it. Yeah. Um, like, 
it also, you know, you could also compare it to Uro, and it, I feel like, comes up short there. Mm-hmm. Not trying to make a halfling joke. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's all. It also appears to be worse than Zimone, the Quandrix prodigy. So, I, I mean, this is just like, it's one of many options that do basically the same thing, and it's kind of worse than all the others. So, sometimes on this show, like we're we're overly harsh on a card. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I, I want to say, y'all, you go first and then I'll say something. Uh, okay. Uh, sometimes on the show, we're overly harsh on a card. And, you know, that can happen when, you know, we're, uh, you know, something like is maybe it's like very political. And like in our, or like in our play group, it wouldn't be good. And some play groups, it's very good. But the fact that like we, this is a super known quantity. Um, and it's it's very like demonstrably worse than the things that come before it. It's clearly not adding anything new to the format. Like I just don't think this card needed to have been printed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I do too. I think this is. Um, hmm. I'm trying to think of like how to say this now that you said that because what I think is going on here is I think that they have archetypes of players in their head. And also archetypes, um, like of like four limited and stuff like that that they're keeping in mind when they're making these sets. And I think at this point, it's honestly that they just think that people who play Simic just like this, that they're okay with this, and they just are totally chill with like a commander that draws cards and puts lands onto the battlefield, <laughs> like. AC, uh, Tyrant of Gyre Strait, um, Uro, Zamone, Thrasios, we've talked about. They're all in that same vein. It's just blue-green creatures that draw cards and play lands and draw more cards and play more lands and whatever is going on. Tatiova, uh, like classic, um, classic Simic thing. So what I think is happening at this point is that they saw that this is a card that people play with, that people like, and they just put their energy elsewhere. Like this is a known quantity when they're making these limited sets. They're like, we know this card plays well. We know people will like it. So we're going to put our effort into something else for now. Um, and what that means is that we're, we keep getting these really similar <laughs> designs on Simic Legends because I think they think this is all Simic players want. And, you know, maybe like, like data shows that the really casual people that are never going to listen to this podcast or go into a shop like do really like that and so it's like a smart move for them but to all of us listening to this podcast right now or to other content creators this just seems like another boring rehash of a thing we already have you know yeah i I mean yeah everyone's like always slightly annoyed at at simic all the time for just being like the Yankees of of magic, but but like, I mean, I think Simic players do also deserve varied gameplay, and that you know Wizards should be looking for other lines of play, other like, you know, there, there's probably cards within the Simic color identity that are close to being good enough in Commander and are just waiting for the right legend in order to to grace the format with their presence, and it would be nice if if wizards was really like exploring the simic design space for things that isn't just like well because you know 
because like nobody answers lands in this man in this metagame, I'm gonna ramp like crazy. And because nobody plays counter spells in this metagame, I'm gonna play like hugely explosive spells and I'm gonna win every game. Like uh, I don't know. I'm I'm sure players are gonna get bored of that eventually and it would be nice <laughs> if Wizards was working as hard in that area as they are in, in other areas. Yeah. Yeah. Um but I mean they did introduce some cool design uh, on the next Simic commander if we want to talk about this guy. Mm. Um, and I think there's a lot to say about him, like not just his design is very cool. I don't know. We'll get into him. This is Volo Guide to Monsters. This is a three two human wizard for four mana, two green blue. Whenever you cast a creature spell that doesn't share a creature type with a creature you control or a creature card in your graveyard, copy that spell. Um, so I do want to say it's very notable that Volo is both a human and a wizard. So don't look at those creature types when yeah. you're making this list. I will say, like, one thing I've noticed so far is that a lot of the legends we've talked about, like a disproportionate number, have been human elves, have been half elves. And oh my god, thank God Volo is not a half elf because like that yeah. would <laughs> that would really be backbreaking. Like mm-hmm. those are like human and wizard are, are both a lot of the they encompass a lot of the power in this Identity, but elves is like the third uh leg of the stool really um and and i want to say first up that like you don't have to be completely singleton with your creature types um you know we have uh, the technology we have the hypergeometric calculator you can sort of figure out like where the line is how many cards you expect to see in a typical game with volo and you know there is a a num a non there's a number greater than one for most of the time of creatures that you can run and like reliably expect to not like see them both and get screwed over but even with that little bit of wiggle room man was it hard to like cut down the number of elves in this deck it was so so difficult because <laughs> they're just not only are they you know naturally great they're just like easy thing to fill out a green deck i think that Lanoir Elves is um, within the top fifty of all cards on EDH Rec. It's in mm-hmm. the it's in the the top fifty cards, um, and there's so many good elves, and also like there's a lot of good elves that synergize, particularly with Volo. Um, so I'm thinking of, for example, like Priest of Titania. If you didn't have any other elves in the deck, and and you didn't have Volo, it would just be two cost one one that taps for a single green. But to play it after you have Volo out, well, you have two Priests of Titania that each tap for two mana. So it's like paying two to generate four mana on the next turn. That's pretty pretty awesome. Uh, Circle of Dreams Druid, the new card from Adventure of the Forgotten Realms, which, oh, oh I guess I'm spoiling it here. I'm guessing yeah. <laughs> stealing our own thunder. Though uh, mm-hmm. so it's, it's green. Well, I guess we'll discuss it more in depth later. But here it's green, green, green for a 2-1 Elf Druid that taps for, for a green for each creature you control. So that, of course, is going to be insane in this list. Um, Bloom Tender is another card similar to Priest of Titania where, like, you know, if you cast it after you have Volo out, it's going to be you've put in two mana and you get two creatures that both tap for two mana. So very powerful ramp potential. Um, but for the most part, I'm like mostly with my list, which I'll, I'll post in the episode description, or most of the creature types I'm running are pretty much singleton. 
Um, there's a couple tricks you can use. So if you have like a, a creature, like a clone, basically, um, it's going to be a shapeshifter on the stack. But once it's on the battlefield, it'll be whatever else you want. So like even if you have multiple clones on the battlefield, as long as they are copying other things, they're no longer shapeshifters or illusions or whatever their base type is. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can be, you can run like more, well, you can be pretty safe about running clones. Although be aware that like once they end up in your graveyard, you're in trouble. Because um, Volo will check that as well. Yes. Um, and I think this is a good time to mention that uh, this card has a similar problem that like Riku of Two Reflections had and a few copy commanders have, which is that sometimes it just kind of is the case that the best thing to copy is a crater of behemoth <laughs> or an avengers and a car or just staples like good stuff cards that you put in most decks of the color mm-hmm. um like there there's really not a reason not to play those cards here like getting two of them is so much better than getting one of them just because it's already the top of the curve in so far as like powerful things to spend mana on so i do think volo can kind of trend towards that more good stuffy creatures but i really like this guy because i do think that like he forces you to be clever with your deck building i do think there are going to be people that choose not to do that in favor of like other elementals that they like uh other beasts that they like etc etc and um uh i think the degree of customization that your volo deck gets because of this restriction is pretty cool yeah it i definitely think it rewards you for for putting the work into deck building uh what i ended up doing is like um downloading the mtg json mtg json um mm-hmm. and like sorting all creatures in this creature uh in this color identity by their creature type and then like within the creature type ranking them by uh their edh rec rank and so i could sort of see like oh what are the what is the best creature of every single type and that made it a lot easier to build this like singleton. So if you don't want to have to do that level of work, please check out my list because there's some, some good options in there. And one other thing I want to mention, um, bef- hopefully before we move on, unless you've got more you want to say. No, no, yeah. Okay. Uh, so Volo will go infinite with Palancron if you happen to have a land that taps for more than one mana. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So in my list, I put in like, you know, Wild Growth, Utopia Sprawl, Overgrowth, Fertile Ground, just a couple land enchantments that ramp you so that if I ever happen to draw my Palancron, and of course, like Simic Growth Chamber, Guildless Commons, um, but made it so that if I ever happen to draw my Palancron, I could just win. Because what's going to happen is you cast your Palancron for seven, uh, Volo makes his copy, you untap seven, that copy comes in, you untap seven lands, which produce eight mana. You tap him again, so you have eight floating, and then your real one comes in, and so basically you end up with sixteen mana, uh, which you then spend four of to bounce the real palancron, and you spend another four to bounce the pink palancron, uh, and then you have eight mana wait remaining, which you then use to cast palancron again. So you you've netted one mana in this whole cycle, and from there you get you know infinite mana, infinite storm. And whatever you want to do from there, it'll probably be good. Again, I think it's just Palancron is one of the best blue 
creatures you can <laughs> play. So I think that it kind of goes to show that like getting two of a thing, pretty good, especially when it's already busted. So yeah, I don't know. I still like him. I love him. I love Palancron, um, like Volo. And this uh, next card is kind of going to, we're going to talk about uh, a cool thing in regards to it. So I, I kind of want to get into it if you're okay with that. Yeah, go ahead and read it off. So this is Faraday, Devil's Chosen, and I may not be saying that right. Who knows? They are a 3-3 Tiefling Warlock for 4 mana, 2 blue-red. They have uh, like a flavor text ability, Dark One's Own Luck. Whenever you roll one or more dice, Faraday, Devil's Chosen, gains flying and menace until end of turn. If any of those results was 10 or higher, draw a card. Uh, I don't even know where you want to start here. Do you want to start with like the deck or do you want to start with topics around dice rolling or? Uh, I guess I'll say topics around dice rolling. Um, okay. So it's worth noting that there in Black Border Commander, there was one other way you could roll dice and that was the planar die, but that is only possible in games of plane chase. So if you play plane chase commander a lot, then keep an eye on the planar die. You should, if, if you're going to use this as like a plane chase commander, which I guess would make sense. Um, yeah. Then make sure you pack the fractured power stone. Well, I guess if you're playing plane chase commander, you're probably already running it. But just be aware yeah. that rolling the planar die will count for this ability. Um, but in regular games of commander, you can put your fractured power stone in your deck, but it will not uh, trigger this ability because rolling the planar die like doesn't do anything. The planar die doesn't exist outside of plane chase. Yeah. Yeah, very, very unfortunate. And then one other thing uh, kind of meta related to this this card and, and dice rolling effects is Maro has said on his blog that when they design dice rolling cards, they are intentionally trying to make it so that they aren't relevant in tournament constructed formats. So they are going out of their way to nerf uh, dice rolling cards. And like... Maybe, I mean, and there are some cases where, like, you can have a good card with dice rolling that just won't be tournament viable. Like, there are things with higher mana costs that are viable in Commander that you wouldn't play in Standard or whatever. But I think if, generally, they're trying to be conservative. And so that means that if you are playing a Faraday deck and uh, putting a bunch of dice rolling cards in, I think those cards are just going to be, like, significantly worse than what you would... <laughs> normally be be paying for that effect i don't know if her like the 55 percent chance of drawing a card makes up for the the crappiness of all the dice rolling cards what do yeah. you know no i so this is actually something that um i don't normally talk about or i wouldn't normally talk about on on our show but there's a lot of very like high mana value cards in this set a lot of the commons are four and five drops or more and that leads me to believe that for the most part the format is probably going to be kind of slower and a big reason for that is like you just said there's a lot of these common and uncommon dice rolling cards and in order to kind of like quote balance them for limited for in case you get the like 15 to 20 um or, or in a lot of cases, 10 to 20, because it's usually just a coin flip with 20 being the, the bo bonus prize, you know? Mm -hmm. They put an extra mana on the mana value, you know? So I think you 
can, like you said, jam all the dice rolling cards, but probably what's better is just playing the goodest ones, playing a pretty strong blue-red list and trying to make that work and or keeping this in the plane chase. Like, this is your plane chase commander. Um, Yeah, I think this is, I think that's probably what I would recommend is just this is your plane chase commander because, like, you know, it... There are some cards that we haven't seen yet, but so far the dice rolling cards have totally underwhelmed me. And you know, if you're going to put them in your Faraday deck, then your deck is is just going to be full of bad cards. And and I I I like that in Commander. I have a lot of decks that are full of very bad cards. Yeah. <laughs> um, but typically, I do that when the Commander's reward is so good that you can run bad cards and get away with it. So I'm thinking of like. Castilla the Cultivator. I'm running like the worst enchantment creature as you can imagine because they cost like one and two mana and I'm curving out and I'm drawing a ton of cards every turn because Castilla, you know, she just vomits out cards if you're attacking with a bunch of enchantment creatures. Um, or or uh, like another one I, I really like and play a lot is Cadena, the, the morph commander. Like most morph creatures are pretty bad, but when <laughs> they are free and they, you know, replace themselves with a card, they're actually pretty good. Uh, Faraday does not do enough to subsidize the bad cards and so i i don't think it's going to work out that great for you unless you're in a format where dice rolling happens all the time yeah no totally agree so i think this is a card i'm really excited to run in brawl on arena and not in paper with my friends yeah which (laughs) gets us to the this this next guy if you're good to move on Mm -hmm. this is our last commander for the day and um Boy, howdy, does his little token make me happy. So this is Minsk Beloved Ranger. So Minsk is a 3-3 human ranger for red, green, white. Just just the three mana. When Minsk enters the battlefield, create Boo, a legendary 1-1 red hamster creature token with trample and haste. And then he has X until end of turn. Target creature you control has base power and toughness. XX and becomes a giant in addition to its other types. Activate only as a sorcery. Um, so just to do a little bit of just background before we talk about the card. So Minsk is from uh, one of the Baldur's Gates like video games. And <laughs> so Boo is like a space hamster or something like that. Like and has a longer name in the video game. I I don't know the whole story there, um, and uh, Minsk like will attack you. Like there, there's a a case in which you'll be like going through a a dungeon, uh, and he's really dumb. He has like a negative intelligence or something like that. <laughs> if something happened to him, he would just attack the thing closest to him, which was usually your party. So, like, you'd throw out Boo and then, like, just start attacking your party. <laughs> so, that's Minsk. People ended up liking him. He was a fan favorite. And now he's a magic card. Hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think this is... I hope it is very satisfying for the folks who played that video game and liked Minsk. Um, I've seen a lot of positive uh, feelings about Boo. The The token card is very cute. So, I'd yes. looking that up if you get a chance. Um, I'll, I'll say that... As in a as a commander, I'm not overwhelmed, but there are some things you can do with this. Yeah. Um, like Minsk, the fact that you can uh t- activate his ability for zero and make a creature you control 
power indefinite is zero, zero, essentially means that he's a sacrifice outlet. So if you're running a deck with a lot of threaten effects, then you can you know take something, swing with it, uh, and then kill it, never have to give it back. Like if you are able to generate a ton of mana somehow, this is a win condition. Like, you know, you swing with a couple guys, whatever gets through, you just make it enormous. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think that that is is viable if you try to build your deck around um, like generating infinite or or very much mana, then that could be a line as well. It's Naya, uh, I wouldn't say good stuff, but Naya mana. It's Mm -hmm. like, I feel like uh, you could put minsk in a zatalpa list and it would go pretty well or you could put zatalpa in a minsk list and it would go pretty well <laughs> like mm-hmm. like it's that kind of like big mana reward so um oh, Z- zatalpa or zakama oh zakama thank you okay. uh yes the other z dinosaur um <laughs> yeah the big three-headed one so yeah big big mana dinosaur rewards big mana hamster rewards you know they go hand in hand with this mm-hmm. guy so i i don't think he's anything crazy don't think he's bad um not gonna build him and i could see why you might want to play him we have made it through the commanders uh if you want to take a stretch break uh drink some water check your posture uh you're now (laughs) manually breathing and then we're going to get into a new card type we're going to go through all the members of that new card type or rather all the commander playable ones uh and then we'll get into like the, the the cards proper um yeah and so we might take a little bit going through the new card type, but um, we're gonna zip through a decent yes. amount of the regular main deck cards. So yes, we we're are, even gonna zip gonna... through this planeswalker. <laughs> we are, yeah, we are speed running here. Okay, I'll I'll read this off if you like. Sure. This is Zeriel, Archduke of Avernus, two red red for a four loyalty legendary planeswalker Zeriel. Plus one creatures you control get plus one plus zero oh, and gain haste until end of turn. Zero. Create a 1-1 devil creature token with when this creature dies, it deals one damage to any target. And minus six, you get an emblem with at the end of your first combat phase on your turn, untap target creature you control. After this phase, there is an additional combat phase. Uh, How do you feel about this guy? Boo. (laughs) (laughs) This is like uh, so, so underwhelming. For four mana, you're like, Okay, for four mana, I don't get any tangible benefit on the plus one. I don't. I, I get a one one devil for plus zero, and or minus zero. You know, glass half full or empty. And then minus sure. six, like the emblem, just one creature attack. Like so, I have to for at least two turns prior, like protect Zariel, and then also not really get a tangible benefit out of her before i get this weird emblem where i can like finest hour once a turn (laughs) like oh yeah it seems bad i i wasn't paying attention to the boob armor i i may have misgendered zariel apologies oh it's yeah i mean she she was an angel the story behind zariel she was an angel charged with like overseeing one of the blood wars against like the fiends and stuff like that she succumbed to the uh, corrupting influence of the Nine Hells being there for too long. And then Asmodeus was like, hey, uh, you want to work for me? And she's like, yeah, I love killing stuff now that I'm evil. Oh, cool. And so that's the story. She's really basically like a really strong angel that got corrupted. Uh, like just kind of cool, evil character, loves warfare. Hmm. And her card is not super good. <laughs> yeah, man, I, I will say like her character design is awesome. I hope that, you know, the people who 
who like this character from playing D&D and enjoy this card. But uh, yeah, I don't think it gets there in Commander. It's unfortunate. That Honestly, like that that emblem is kind of sexy to me. I know I, like for most Planeswalkers, I'm, I'm able to like keep that distance and be like, oh, but <laughs> it's so hard to get the emblem. But it's like, oh, but, like, yeah, the potential. Yeah, I just feel like you really have to be like cheating. Otherwise, you yeah just can't it's just not feasible like you have to be like proliferating a lot you have to be i know and it's and it's in the one color that's not in a Traxxas color identity yeah (laughs) exactly so it's like it just seems like a little bit harder than it should be and that makes me upset all right I, i think with that we can move on to the uh the new subtype being introduced um this is uh they they wanted to, I think they wanted to introduce a touch of class in magic. <laughs> uh, so uh, there there is a new subtype. It is class. It is a subtype for enchantments. Um, and so I'm going to read off one of them just to give you a sample of what this looks like and sort of how it works. So cleric class is a single white mana for an enchantment class. Basically, it starts off as if you would gain life, you gain that much life plus one instead. And then it has this activated ability for three and a white at sorcery speed. You can activate it and you will go to level two and that will add the level two effects to the card. So then you will get the, the effective level one and the effective level two. The level two is whenever you gain life, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control. And then you can pay four and a white to activate it for level three and add that card's effects or add that uh, level's effects. So level three is when this class becomes level three, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. You gain life equal to its toughness. So altogether, uh, once you get it up to level three, it's going to give you that extra life when you gain life. Uh, it's going to give you that sort of Heliod ability of like gaining life and putting counters on things. And the last one is like a breath of life or resurrection plus life gain. Uh, what do you think about this card? So I love Cleric. This one, I like the the class in D&D, and I actually really like this card. There's a lot of cards in the set that are the blank we have at home. Uh, This is basically Heliod Suncrowned. Um, It will cost you five mana to get there, but you get a pretty decent, uh, like, option around it, I guess. And it comes down really early just for one mana, so kind of trivial to like play this earlier in a deck that cares about life gain and then um you have a second heliod sun crowned admittedly for more mana admittedly it could get blown up but you uh, also have the benefit of like paying five mana to reanimate something so i think that's great i think that all the utility combined this is uh, worth it to play and it is effects that uh white doesn't get super often at a rate that is good enough if that makes sense yeah i I would can definitely consider this in like lafiel in karlov in heliod like the the life gain centered white decks that can make use of plus one plus one counters Mm -hmm. perhaps narrow but i think it's a good card it's great that you can split the cost over multiple turns yeah honestly Um, that's what saves a lot of these cards for me like a lot of the cards like ooh, four mana but like I'm not actually spending all the mana in one turn. I can, they have just enough utility on the other modes and between the modes that it's like, oh, okay, like that's actually kind of reasonable. So yeah, I'm, I'm into Cleric a lot, actually. All right, uh, the next one we're going to talk about is Barbarian class. It's a single red mana 
Uh, its level one ability is if you would roll one or more dice, instead roll that many dice plus one and ignore the lowest roll. You can then pay one and a red to bring it to level two, uh, which adds the ability whenever you roll one or more dice, target creature you control gets plus two plus O oh and gains menace until end of turn. And then for two and a red, you can add the effects of level three, which are creatures you control have haste. Personally, I think that like paying six mana total for a haste grinder is is not that exciting. No. <laughs> um, but if I have a dice rolling deck, you know, like if I'm playing uh, what's her face in plane chase, then I am probably uh, or Faraday. If I'm playing her in plane in like plane chase commander, then I would hundred percent add this card to my deck. I don't think we're gonna get it often or soon, but I doubt this is the last time we see dice rolling in black bordered magic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Barbarian's gonna be pretty good for that. So I, I do agree with you. I think this is like not just a card I would play for the haste granting. It's not even really a card I would play for level two, but that first like initial investment is is totally worth it for one man. <laughs> yeah. And I, I do really like how cheap the first option are. I think like, yeah, I I think it really comes down to like how much you're paying for the abilities. Because uh, the fact that you're splitting it up, like if it's, you know, like one, two and two or one, two and three, you can find enough mana to pay for like part of this card in a lot of your turns. Yeah. Anyway, I, I think we can move on to the next one if you're okay with that. Yeah, of course. Specifically, this is the Druid class. This is a two mana enchantment, one in a green. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you gain one life. Uh, level two is two in a green, so three mana. You may play an additional land on each of your turns. And then level three is four in a green. When this class becomes level three, target land you control becomes a creature with haste, and this creature's power and toughness are equal to the number of lands you control. It is still a land. Um, so this one in particular, um, if you look at cards that have what level two does, you may play an additional land on each of your turns. Dryad of the Elysian Grove is currently the, like the cheap. These are the cheapest versions, which I doubt you'll actually be able to get efficiently on like Card Kingdom and TCG Player all the time. But currently, when I checked this morning, uh, Dryad of the Elysian Grove is seventeen dollars. Oracle Moldiah, the cheapest version, is nineteen dollars, nineteen something. Wayward Swordtooth is typically seventeen bucks. I found some that were like damaged for twelve. Azusa was reprinted recently, but it's still seven bucks. Ancient Green Warden for like a heavily played was eleven bucks. Um, and this is worse than all of those cards. Well, maybe not worse than Ancient Green Warden, <laughs> but um, this is worse than most of those cards I mentioned. But it's still like this is an uncommon class. Uh, it's going to be cheaper than those. It offers decent utility. Uh, you can maybe combo with a creature that taps for mana that's big or whatever. Like. I think this is going to do enough for you and give you enough value with that extra lands clause that uh, people are going to play it just in spite of the fact that a lot of these cards are 20 plus dollars. So that's, that's why I wanted to bring this card up. I think like people uh, want this effect. This effect is very fun, um, but I really don't want to shell out 17 bucks or another wayward sword tooth, you know? Yeah. Maybe maybe that's a, the, good point to make is like if you're if you're a budget player if you're you know trying to look for um alternative options for these like incredibly expensive cards it is oracle moldiah really only 19 dollars 
Yeah, the regular one is like 30 something and then the jump start is 20 bucks. Oh my god, I got to pick that up. Oh, I yeah. Guess... <laughs> oh, that's that's great. Uh well, thank you for that tip. And yeah, yeah if you're on a budget, um then oh, that's awesome. Uh yeah, if you're on a budget, go ahead and and run this. I think that makes sense if you're in like a landfall deck and uh don't want to shell out a bunch of cash. Yeah, it's like growing rates of like Itlamok uh is not uh is not guy's cradle, but it's close enough for the hundreds of dollars you don't have to spend on it. Uh, yep, yep, yep. <laughs> so uh, I think that gets us to this next card, though. Um, okay. Do you want to read it? Yes. Uh, this is Sorcerer class. Uh, it's red and a blue for an enchantment class. The level one ability is when Sorcerer class enters the battlefield, draw two cards, then discard two cards. And then you can pay red and a blue to add the level two abilities, which is Creatures you control have tap, add blue or red. Spend this mana only to cast an instant or sorcery spell or to gain a class level. Uh, Then you can pay three red blue for the level three ability, which is whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, that spell deals damage to each opponent equal to the number of instant and sorcery spells you've cast this turn. The base ability is not great. Like you have... (laughs) much better options for card selection and this one like you're basically going down on cards yeah and it's an enchantment which is something that you typically don't want in your spell slinger yes great point like this is not going to trigger your your um your young pyromancer or your whatever um but the level two ability actually seems pretty good in a spell slinger deck that generates lots of tokens Mm, so if you have like a kaikar list or maybe a zyrus deck um, but especially Kaikar, like this is just a way to get additional value off of all your guys. Like instead of having to sacrifice your spirits for mana to Kaikar, uh, you can just tap them, and that seems pretty good. Uh, and then Micah on our Discord server suggested running it in the Locust God, and it seems absolutely insane there. That seems yeah. so good, um, because like whenever you draw cards with the Locust God out, you're gonna make that many uh locusts when that many one one insects with flying and haste and then this is going to grant the ability to tap for mana so it's like essentially whenever you draw a card add one mana of any color and then you can then like and the, the deck is of course full of cards that draw more cards than like the mana value of the spell so like if you're playing a you know wheel of fortune or a, a windfall or something you're paying three mana to draw six or seven cards uh, it's it's just insane. Like you're going up on cards, you're going up on mana. Is it possible to not storm out from there? It seems so good. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so, <That's> so true. <laughs> yeah, so if you have a Locust God deck, uh, we recommend you snap up Sorcerer class. It seems very good there. Mm-hmm. Very strong. And I don't know. I think I I love that about these classes is that they build into these archetypes. They did a really good job of like flavorfully representing things these classes do. <laughs> <laughs> which is cool. Um, and speaking of which, fighter class is our next class. Oh, sorry. Uh, can I say one more thing? Uh, oh, yeah, of course. Class? I, I totally forgot to mention this, but um, also like also like uh, Kaza Royal Shaper uh, is another, like you're sort of going wide with your wizards, but you're also uh, casting a lot of spells. That's another place that Sorcerer Class kind of makes sense. But that, that's the last thing I had to say. say please go ahead on to fighter class. Yes. Um, so fighter is a two mana enchantment red white 
When fighter class enters the battlefield, search your library for an equipment card, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle. Level 2 is 1 red-white. Equip abilities you activate cost 2 generic less to activate. And level 3 is 3 red-white. Whenever a creature you control attacks, up to one target creature blocks it this combat if able. So, this is is pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, I like this a lot. Yeah, I like that the kind of most niche of the abilities is the expensive final one because there's definitely points in a game when I might want to do that, but it's not most of the time. Mm -hmm. And so I'm glad that like I get the option to buy into it instead of having to go through that option first to get what I want. Like this just gives you everything you need right on the surface. Yeah, no, but I think that the classes for which like the level one ability is worth running, like, well, I, I, that kind of makes the whole card worth running. I guess that yeah. <laughs> that wasn't really an insightful thing to say. But uh, I, I put Open the Armory and Steel Shaper's Gift and Stoneforge Mystic into tons of decks, especially in the red-white color identity. We've just gotten so many uh, equipment-focused commanders in red-white over the last year or so. So I think this is a, a fantastic card. It's like an easy staple for those types of decks, and I would pick up a couple copies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So this is super cool. Um, and... Also, the last class we're going to talk about today, we have run out of class, everybody. Yep. Uh, there's class no homework. Dismissed. Class is dismissed. Yeah, have a good summer. Um, there are more in the set. Um, we didn't really feel like talking about them, um, but please let us know if you like them, uh, how you feel about them. As per usual, we love hearing what you have to say, and this is a new, cool, exciting thing. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm into it. And we're ready to get into the main deck cards. Yeah, and oh my god, like, so we're going to start with white, per use, and just like, most of these are bangers, so yeah, this um, is a good it, set for white. Alright, uh, the first white card we're going to be talking about is the Book of Exalted Deeds. Uh, this is white, white, white for a legendary artifact. At the beginning of your end step, if you gained three or more life this turn, create a 3-3 white angel creature token with flying, and you can pay white, 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 tap, exile the Book of Exalted Deeds. Put an enlightened, put an enlightened counter on target angel. It gains. You can't lose the game, and your opponents can't win the game. You can activate it only as a sorcery. So, in terms of places to use this card, uh, Lyra Dawnbringer, she can jump through the hoop. Like you know, there's life gain synergies in the deck. She grants angels life link, and she also wants the reward. Um, she's excited to have more angels on the field, so that makes a lot of sense there. And then I also wanted to call out this one interaction where if you put an enlightened counter on like an animated mutavault or an animated faceless haven, then you you basically have platinum angel on a land, which is a lot harder to answer than like platinum angel on a creature. So that could be pretty good uh, for keeping you alive for a while um, and against and maybe forever if an opponent uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, land destruction. Um, so that's kind of what I was thinking about for this. Is there any other uses you can think of? No, I think if you're just trying to use this for the front end, it's pretty underwhelming. I think your Lyra is a pretty good place just because like the tokens are angels, easy gain three life, blah, blah, blah. But they keep putting this your end step on cards and I just, I'm not a fan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not a fan of that. I want, why, why not just each end step? It's just a little, a little more. A little more oomph for me, please. Um, 
so the, I think this card is fine, and I think that the interaction you mentioned with like the Platinum Angel Land is rad. Um, I just think that this is not going to be super widely applicable, even if it is very strong in the decks that can play it. Yeah, yeah. I so far we're we've seen two books. I don't know if there's going to be a full cycle of these, um, but they haven't been amazing so far, considering they are you know legendary mythics with triple. Tips in there yeah because. yeah these are two books like in game but they were also supplements for various like three five had uh, the book of vile darkness and the book of exalted deeds which had like different classes and like feats and stuff in them they were like source books uh as well as like books within the forgotten realms like campaign settings so like i, I think we're only gonna get these two but they're both kind of like okay <laughs> they're both like well all right, see you next time, books. Yeah. Um, which I think means we can move on to this next guy, which is an absolute banger. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll read this one off. This is Guardian of Faith. Uh, one white white for a 3-2 creature, Spirit Knight. It has Flash and Vigilance, and when it enters the battlefield, any number of other target creatures you control phase out, which means you treat them as you treat them and anything attached to them as though they don't exist until their controller's next turn. And they phase back in before you untap um, beginning of your turn. So uh, this seems really good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what are your thoughts? No, I do. I just, I just think this is very good. And I think that um, this is just going to be a white staple. I, I like this way, way, way more than a lot of the other, like, um, what is it? Advanced formation, tactical formation. What's that one? Uh, white instant. Oh, yeah. So there's um, there's the one with addendum from that's the one I'm talking about. People play that card a lot. Uh, unbreakable formation. Yeah, unbreakable formation. So there's like a few um, cards in white that give indestructible, and they're usually three mana, and they're usually instants. And you know that's fine, but this guy <laughs> also is a win condition because he has three power. <laughs> Yeah. So he protects your things. Uh, he's recurrable. He has flash and vigilance, so he can block as well as attack. It's just so good. It, it protects your board. It protects your tokens, which is something that yeah. a lot of those spells, uh, especially the ones that like flicker, like um, Eerie Interlude, don't do. Um, so, yeah, I'm just really high on this guy. This is a great execution on the three mana white protect your board spell. Yeah, it's just so great that like they are phased out until your turn. So like if you, you know, do this on player on opponent A's turn, like then opponent B, opponent C, like their removal, their mass, like their uh, mass removal, their wrath of God, or whatever, is not going to touch your guys. Uh, it's it's you know it's it's similar to a lot of the benefits from Teferi's protection. So and of course, as you mentioned, it's recurrable. Sun Titan compliant. Uh, it's compliant with this the uh, the Barrower Barrower whatever his name is. Yeah, of Clan Under. Um. So yeah, I think it's a, a fantastic card. I definitely want to pick up a couple copies of this. Yeah, super cool. Um, which I think leads us to this next card. So most of these are going to be bangers, like we said. So oh, hold this... on. There's there's one thing I realized I should have said. Okay. And of course, if you want to pick up some copies of this card, please uh, check out our affiliate link, which is in the episode <laughs> description. I really, I'll, I'll try to be better about doing that. But uh, you know, if I say that I am picking up a card, you can 
impressed that I, I mean it from the bottom of my heart. I try to pick up a lot of the, the new staples with each new set that comes out. Um, and of course, I use TCG Player because it's a marketplace where many different uh, vendors compete against each other and drive prices down. And it's the best way to buy magic cards. And if you use our affiliate link, you support the show a little bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And with that said, I guess let's just keep keep on going through the bangers because uh, this next card, which is awesome, <laughs> which is uh, Ingenious Smith. So this is a human artificer. Uh, they are a 1-1 one, one for one and a white, so two mana. When Ingenious Smith enters the battlefield, look at the top four cards of your library. You may reveal an artifact card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest in the bottom in a random order. Whenever one or more artifacts enter the battlefield under your control, put a plus one plus one counter on Ingenious Smith. This ability triggers only once each turn. So it doesn't get big super fast. Your smothering tithe doesn't just explode your Ingenious Smith. But that's not nothing. Um, but the big thing is uh, this is a cheap little white creature that interacts with artifacts. And that's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Teshar is one of my favorite white commanders, and this seems so perfect for that list because, you know, the density of artifacts in Teshar is high enough that you're pretty much guaranteed to hit off of Ingenious Smith, uh, off of its ETB ability. And then, of course, you can just like play Ingenious Smith, get an artifact, sacrifice it, cast the artifact you just pulled off the top of your library, get back Ingenious Smith, go look at the top four, get another artifact. Uh, it just seems like a very great loop, uh, a powerful loop that will uh, get you a lot of advantage in that deck. This card reminded me of like Daring Archaeologist from Dominaria, which is a card I liked a lot and I always try to put in decks and never really works. But Daring Archaeologist is a 3-3 human artificer for 4 mana, 3 and a white. When it enters, you return an artifact from your graveyard to hand. And then whenever you... Uh, I think cast a historic spell that gets a counter someone can correct me on that but um like seemed pretty good at the time i was like wow this is pretty cool but it was like four mana and it just never quite panned out the way i wanted it to and genius smith seems like it plays in a very similar space like getting you cards back and working um with artifacts in a way that like is abusable with the cards that white already is using so i'm, I'm pretty excited to try it out which gets us to the next card which is minimus containment this is an aura. It's a three mana aura, two and a white. Enchant a non-land permanent. Enchanted permanent is a treasure artifact with tap. Sacrifice this artifact, add one mana of any color. It loses all other abilities. So um, what, does this, what does this remind you of? Well, uh, it looks a lot like, uh, like a Imprisoned in the Moon or a Song of the Dryads. Um, the only downside, of course, is that it gives your opponent an escape clause. Uh, they can just, so it's it's not that great at taking care of commanders because, of course, they can just sacrifice the treasure and recast their commander and, and they're, you know, not too much the worse for wear. Um, but as just a, a general, like, all-purpose answer to problematic cards, you know, it possibly is a little bit better than, like, Banishing Light or something like that because... You know, if if you're putting it on something with an ETB trigger, then and they kill the Banishing Light, they get that ETB trigger again. Whereas if they do that with Minimus Containment, then uh, it still just was on the board the whole time. They don't get any additional value. Um, 
I will say that also the it being an aura is relevant in some corner cases, you know, in a SRAM deck or if you have like a like a core spirit dancer or something there are, or or even like um if you have actually this might be pretty good. If you have like open the armory in your deck, I often run open the armory to get important equipment. Um but now you can get like just an all-purpose answer to anything in your mono white deck if you have open the armory. So that seems pretty good. Yeah, I don't know. I'm glad that they are printing more of these white, like aura based removals. They're like pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, which, uh, speaking of white aura based removal, <laughs> <laughs> this next card is called Moon Blessed Cleric. It is a 3 2 human elf cleric for three mana, two and a white. So the flavor text name is Divine Intervention. When Moonblessed Cleric enters the battlefield, you may search your library for an enchantment card, reveal it, then shuffle and put that card on top. Uh, nice. That's great. Holy cow. Yeah. Uh, before like, I, I really get into kind of evaluating this card, I just want to say, like, you know, I have an Enchantress deck, and I, I run a bunch of enchantment tutors, and pretty much the only card I ever tutor for is Divine Intervention. So this is just, <laughs> just like chef's kiss perfect. Uh, I think this card is pretty darn good. It's not as generally powerful as Idyllic Tutor or Enlightened Tutor, but it's you know it's good enough that I'll be happy to play it. Uh, it's like Sun Titan compliant. It, you know, if you want to recur it, it's pretty darn good. You can also like use it to get like a Gift of Immortality and then sacrifice it to keep like stacking your deck with other good enchantments. And it's uh, just a great card, and I'm really happy that this exists. Mm-hmm. No, that's pretty much exactly how I feel too. Like another way to get White's increased suite of uh tech through enchantments and auras and whatnot is just something that I'm pretty into. So uh excited this exists and very happy to play with it in the, the coming months. So man, okay, this last white card we're gonna talk about today is like such a banger and it works with a lot of the cards we've talked about already. Yeah. Wow. Um so this is teleportation circle. It is an enchantment, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. It costs four mana, three and a white, and it has at the beginning of your end step, exile up to one target artifact or creature you control, then return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control. So this is basically a mono white conjurer's closet. Um, And you know what? Hell yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's great. Oh my God, I love that. That's so wonderful. Yeah, this is really, really sick. because. I mean, we've talked a bit about this before, but like if you're trying to do something with your deck, uh, it's important that you have like a critical mass. And and by that, I mean like enough copies of that effect that you can reliably draw them across games. So, you know, we typically use like the hypergeometric calculator and talk about like, oh, if you want to see this effect by turn X, then you're going to need this many copies in your deck for like a 90% confidence. Teleportation circle brings us a lot closer to a critical mass of mono white blink effects or like blink engines rather so and the reason it does that because like you know you might be thinking like well i can think of like astral drift and astral slide but that's like it well the the great thing is like all the enchantment tutors we just talked about like two minutes ago uh basically are, are wild cards are ways to get this teleportation circle so in your mono white deck, you can run Teleportation Circle. You can run Idyllic Tutor to find Teleportation Circle, like Enlightened Tutor, 
moon blessed cleric um you can run astral drift astral slide and put like in a cycling package um and then you can also run sort of hearth and home and then the equipment tutors like stoneforge mystic open the armory steel shaper's gift and so that's like 10 different cards that all essentially like set up a and and of course like you know conjurer's closet on top of that you know this is a pretty respectable number of cards so you can make mono white blink work or like or some other white x deck blink work uh pretty consistently and so i actually like i have a a list that sort of uses this package and demonstrates how useful it is um i built a nadar selfless paladin deck because that's you know that commander etbs and whenever etbs are attacks you get to venture and so this really helps make it so that you're you're able to get through your dungeons more quickly um and i think it's a good demonstration of the the power of this this toolbox and like the effectiveness and the reliability that is now possible because teleportation circle and sort of hearth and home were printed it's it's crazy that like you know 3 months ago it's like mono white blink probably not really possible unless you're doing like 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 livio's okay but you don't really have the the infrastructure in your deck but now uh you know two cards got printed and it just like unlocked the archetype which is awesome yeah no i i love that too it's like this is only going to get better over time too i think they've always said that white was like one of the primary blink colors and then they only ever really gave it like ephemerate and like instant like one shot things same with like the indestructible things like they didn't ever really put that on a permanent they always put it on like a spell and like white can't really abuse spells like other colors so yep. <laughs> you, you're kind of like out of luck when that happened but the fact that this is just sits around does its thing every turn gives you a bunch of value that's awesome i love this yeah i know it makes me like really think about so i could like moon bless cleric for a teleportation circle play the teleportation circle Blink my moon bless cleric and it's like and then start setting up enchantment combos like this uh this seems incredible there's so many cool things you can do now that this card exists yeah um yeah i just 100 percent agree i'm just really really happy it's there and uh we can get into the blue cards now yep congrats everyone <laughs> we made it so this is uh this is a super interesting card this is demi lich so Demulich is a 4-3 skeleton wizard for blue, 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 blue. So just four blue pips. This spell costs blue less to cast for each instant and sorcery spell you cast this turn. Whenever Demulich attacks, exile up to one target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard. Copy it. You may cast the copy. You may cast Demulich from your graveyard by exiling four instants and or sorcery cards from your graveyard in addition to paying its other costs. Wow. Okay. That's a lot of blue pips. That's a lot of text. Uh, let's like parse this together. Basically, this could be free if you cast four instants or sorceries in, a, in your turn, which there's some decks that want to do that. Um, and then you get a 4-3 that can buy back like flashback spells from your graveyard on attack so do you think that's worth it like does that seem like something you want to do and like where would i want to do this i was thinking that like in a well mono blue almost certainly um 
deck that casts a whole bunch of spells in one turn but doesn't combo off. Uh, I'm thinking like Talrand or Octavia or Dika, the Fractal Theorist from mm-hmm, uh, C21. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking maybe in those decks they can cast enough spells in one turn to make it free. Uh, they can get value from it when it attack from when it like casts additional spells from your graveyard. Uh, that's kind of where I'm thinking about it, but I I think it is definitely a narrow card. Yes. Um, I think it's narrow too. I think the Octavia is actually the place I'm most excited to play this. I've wanted to make an Octavia list. It's kind of a weird commander. I really don't know what I want it to do. And there's like so many commanders to make right now that I haven't really put effort in, (laughs) but having your four, three that has to attack to get its benefit. Cause this doesn't have flying or anything like that. Becoming an 8-8 and then doing that and then getting extra value seems like a lot better than some of the other lists that uh, could play it. So I'm I'm wondering if we'll start seeing it there, if people are even going to build Octavia. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because she's kind of weird and not the best, but flashing back spells is pretty good. So this might be worth it. I don't know. We'll find out. Yep. Uh, All right. This next one, we're going to... Actually, I think most of these remaining blue cards we're going to cover very very quickly yes they're very um very isolated in what they do there's only a few decks that want them uh all right so this next one is dragon turtle it is one blue blue for a three five creature dragon turtle it has flash and it has drag below when dragon turtle enters the battlefield tap it and up to one target creature and opponent controls they don't untap during their controller's next untap steps uh so to me i i see this like it's a non-embarrassing dragon that costs less than four mana so if you have like a a silumgar the drifting death deck and you just want to get as many dragons as possible to help you um like you know annihilate everything uh this seems like a you know one of the few non-changeling options at this mana at this price point yeah i'm really excited to see like that they made like the dragonborn just dragons they didn't come up with like dragonborn as a creature type they're like no it's dragon oh yeah i know and and yeah and then also that dragon turtle is just a three mana dragon it's like oh yes thank you (laughs) this is great so very excited um which gets us to this next card which we don't have too much to say Uh, this is pixie guide a one three flying fairy for one and a blue uh they have grant an advantage if you would roll one or more dice, instead roll that many dice plus one and ignore the lowest roll. Um, yeah, how do you feel about this? Uh, so I would run this in the dice rolling deck and nowhere else. Uh, and- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Um, so just a quick note on the rules of this. like, If you are playing Faraday in uh, Plane Chase Commander, like anything about ignoring the lowest roll like the the value of a, a die doesn't apply to the planar die so um i think you just roll the planar die twice if in that yeah game. i i'm wondering if you get two effects because you rolled like a like a nine and a 15 if you get both of them mm-hmm. or something but i don't know <laughs> like i'm gonna wait till the rules article comes out yeah uh, all right, I think we can move on to the next one. Another quickie. Mm-hmm. This is Secret Door. It's a single blue mana for a zero four artifact creature wall with defender. 
uh, and it has four and a blue venture into the dungeon activate only as a sorcery because it's a, a one mana wall or a one mana defender creature with a decent amount of toughness it's easy inclusion in arcades the strategist um that's, that's kind of where i see it making sense any other decks that you think it might be good in um i'm wondering if this is good enough for phoenix one point i guess he's the only phoenix we have but um like phoenix wants like big booty creatures to like mill itself pretty quick um or if you're kind of going casual mill your opponents i like we've gotten a decent selection of one mana for toughness creatures i'm wondering if they're all good i, I would actually if someone has a phoenix list um let me know <laughs> mm-hmm. if these are things that i should keep an eye out for for phoenix but um yeah not arcades and seems like the best place for it obviously and then then i'm wondering if any other defender matters decks want it or big big booty decks want it um yeah. and that's kind of uh, it okay yeah. uh, well i think we can move on to the next one then um mm-hmm. uh, silver raven is a single blue mana for a one one artifact creature bird it has flying and when silver raven enters the battlefield scry one uh so I see this, and I think of Edric, and I guess now Grazalax, um, mm-hmm. because it's a, a flying man that is strictly better than flying man. So, yep. yeah, seems good. Yeah, anytime uh, you get a really good flying man, um, you know where to put him. Yep, there they go. Um, which gets us to a, a kind of a weird card. This is the Black Staff of Waterdeep. This is a one mana. It's just a, a single blue pip for a legendary artifact. It says you may choose not to untap the Black Staff of Waterdeep during your untap step. And it has animate walking statue. So one blue tap. Another target non-token artifact you control becomes a 4-4 artifact creature for as long as the Black Staff of Waterdeep remains tapped. Activate only as a sorcery. Um, so... This, it, I mean, so the Black Staff of Waterdeep was like a, if you live in Waterdeep, it like activates the defense grid of Waterdeep, which is like these giant animated statues. So that's the flavor of the card. That's like what they're getting the thing from. Blue equipment, uh, not blue equipment, blue vehicle decks. This is kind of like, you don't need to have creatures to crew them if you have like an omen keel, but you still get all the abilities on them, which is kind of cool. And then uh, there's some other combos if you want to talk about that too. Yeah, uh, I was thinking about this like with Voltaic Construct combos. So if you use this to animate a like Gilded Lotus or a Thran Dynamo or a um, or a Basalt Monolith, then and you happen to have a Voltaic Construct out, then you can uh, un- like tap the Gilded Lotus for mana, use two mana to untap the Gilded Lotus using the Voltaic Construct, and just do that in infinite get infinite mana. So that seems pretty good. Uh, if you are trying to assemble that combo, it is worth noting that the Black Staff is Trinket Mage compliant. You can fetch this out pretty easily. And of course, Trinket Mage is a pretty low opportunity to cost to run in Commander. So that's kind of where I was thinking for it. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, the fact that it is Trinket Mageable is awesome. Like, love that about it. Love one mana artifacts. Um, so yeah, pretty, again, pretty low spread, but um, still. Still interesting. Still got some stuff to do. Um, this next one is Wizard Spellbook. It's another blue artifact. It costs five blue blue. It has tap, exile, target, instant, or sorcery card from a graveyard. Roll a d20. 
activate only as a sorcery. And so when you roll a d20, it changes the effect. 1 to 9, copy that card, you may cast the copy. 10 to 19, copy that card, you may cast the copy by paying one generic rather than its mana cost. And then nat 20, copy each card exiled with wizard spellbook. You may cast any number of the copies without paying their mana costs. So uh, if you've been sitting there farming tap abilities, hit that nat 20, you might win. Um, but you know what probably just just wins if you do that? Oh, what? Tell me. Um, so there's this cool card called Mizix's Mastery. <laughs> and it is uh, for one more mana, for eight mana, admittedly, admittedly in red. You just cast all the spells in your graveyard. You know, you don't got to spend seven and one turn at a time, exile a bunch of <laughs> instants and sorceries, and then uh, get lucky on a d20 roll. You just kind of just win, you know? Yeah. Physics's Mastery, you could go with the, the, the 5% chance with Wizard Spellbook, or you can go with the 100% chance with the Mastery. Mm-hmm. It's up mm-hmm. to you. It is. And I, I kind of liked this at first. I liked the spell reduction, but it's like, oh, it's seven. I don't really want to cheat this out. I, it, it, putting in the, the infrastructure to cheat this out and then also get the spells off it seems like too much work for me. Um, and then something else is I actually thought Demi Lich, because like cards were spoiled so quickly, I actually kind of mixed up that the the payment change. I thought Demi Lich also had a payment reduction. And when I realized that this card had the payment reduction and not Demi Lich, which we talked about earlier, um, I kind of I'm a little lower on both of those cards. So mm-hmm. I still like Demi Lich, um, but I think I don't like Wizard's Spellbook much at all, even though like part of me really likes it. The, the really casual part of me really likes it, but I just know I'm never going to play it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know if you have anything else you want to you want to say about it. No, uh, I think we can move on to the last couple blue cards. Um, mm-hmm. This first one is really simple. One blue blue for an instant. Choose one. Foil their... Or sorry, it is called You Find the Villain's Lair. Uh, one blue blue for an instant. Choose one. You can foil their scheme, which uh, is counter target spell. And you can also learn their secrets, which is draw two cards and then discard two cards. Uh, so I was thinking like, the the mode the modal like counter spell that can also like do card selection that's kind of intriguing uh, it looks a lot like supreme will to me which sees some fringe play in talran lists uh, if you have got like a non competitive like non combo y riel deck they're like you're gonna be happy with either of these modes so that's that's kind of where I think this card might fit into the format mm-hmm. yeah I really don't have too much to say about it it, it I actually do like these modal spells um we're we're not really going to talk about too many of them because there's just too many cards to talk about and they're pretty minor but like i I do think it'll be pretty easy to fit these modal spells into lists kind of like we've said like a a calamax or an octavia or whatever if if you choose to do so um so this i think is a pretty good like poster child of like two effects at a bad rate but when you stapled together just makes a good card so um yeah and I, I think with that we can move on to the last blue card for the day okay go for it so this is yuan t malison uh this is a 2-1 snake rogue for one and a blue yuan t malison can't be blocked as long as it's attacking alone and whenever yuan t malison deals combat damage to a player venture into the dungeon um so how do you feel about this card 
Uh, I think it's pretty narrow, but it's it's got the um, the the it meets the requirements of Tetsuko Umazawa in that it has like one toughness and it has a a decent combat damage trigger. So I think that it might be a good addition to that list. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. I'm not sure. I mean, I maybe we just kind of automatically play this in um the venture esper deck but i guess we'll talk about that next week um because i don't actually think we need to jam the venture cards into some of these lists you know i think when the commander's venture you just kind of do what the commander does and you'll get enough value but i think this is enough value in like a tetsuko list that it's worth it i think venturing once a turn when you're also like drawing cards and doing other stuff is probably probably fine you know maybe i don't know i'll have to play with venture really to see if like venturing once or twice a turn is worth a random card you know yeah definitely uh, i really am excited to test with um with this mechanic yeah um and now we're in the black cards everybody so um everyone again do a little little breathing exercises uh sit up straight uh stretch your leggies and uh here we go so all right, uh, so this next card is Death Priest of Mirkul. It is two black black for a 2-2 two, two tiefling cleric. It has skeletons, vampires, and zombies you control get plus one plus one. And at the beginning of your end step, if a creature died this turn, you may pay one. If you do, create a 1-1 one, one black skeleton creature token. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> so to me, uh, this looks a lot like Liliana's Devotee. Um, which is a card that was printed in M21. Uh, it pumps zombies for plus one plus O. Oh, it's two and a B for a two three human warlock. And uh, it has a similar end step trigger that will allow you to create a zombie if a creature died by paying some mana. Um, and that card really hasn't seen much adoption. Um, so I don't think that this is going to see a lot of play either. But if we ever get some sort of skeleton tribal commander uh then this is like i think this is one of only two lords and only three token generators for skeletons so it might be worth keeping an eye out for that yeah i think the thing this card has going for it is that uh unlike the liliana's devotee this is just one generic um it might be a lot easier to keep up the one generic and make a skeleton than it is to like put a black and one in and get a zombie out um so I think you're right. I think if there is good skeleton tribal, this might be a card that we want to play. And it might just be the case that one mana is just a lot easier to to work into your turn cycle than the two mana from this other guy. Yeah, that's totally reasonable. Um, So I guess we'll just keep on moving. So this is Bane Death. Uh, this is another in a, in a storage cycle of card design, which is great. Um, it is a one... It is a single black mana for an instant. Until end of turn, target creature gains. When this creature dies, return it to the battlefield tapped under its owner's control with a plus one, plus one counter on it. Um. So yeah, the do you want to get into to this card and its its brethren? <laughs> uh. So, uh, Malakir Rebirth sees a really surprising amount of play. It's in like something like twelve thousand decks on EDH rec. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a really similar effect. Supernatural Stamina and Undying Evil, they also see a bit of play, um, mostly in decks like Piru, Kokusho, 
and Gaunti. So like black commanders with a good ETB or dies trigger. Um, so I think that this will kind of slot into those same lists as just another way to get additional value off of your commander's effect. Yep. Yeah, I don't know. Don't have too much more to say about that. Uh, I just think we're hit, we, we have now, I think, hit a critical mass of these spells that you can kind of jam them all into certain lists and it is just going to work out really well. You're just always going to have one when you need it. So this next card we're not going to talk about for too long. Um, it is Gelatinous Cube. It is a 4-3 ooze for 4 mana, 2 black black. It has Engulf. When Gelatinous Cube enters the battlefield, exile target non-ooze creature and opponent controls until Gelatinous Cube leaves the battlefield. And it has Dissolve. X and a black. Put target creature card with mana value X exiled with Gelatinous Cube into its owner's graveyard. So this is perfect flavor for what a gelatinous cube does like uh get your friend out of the cube before it gets dissolved um not a very good magic card (laughs) um i don't know if there's anything you want to say about it uh yeah i think that black has so many better options it doesn't need to rely on this um if we ever get like the processor commander that we deserve yeah and uh then we, we might have something here but for right now i'd say no Yep, yeah, I definitely agree. I think we can move on to this next one, which actually is cool. So this is Shambling Ghast. This is a 1-1 zombie for black, just a single black pit. When Shambling Ghast dies, choose one. Browse the stench. Uh, I think. Oh, that sorry, be... Brave the Stench. Uh, so Brave the Stench is target creature and opponent controls gets minus one, minus one until end of turn. And search the body, create a treasure token, which is... This card is so funny. It's so flavorful. Yeah, where would you want to put this? Uh, yeah, so I was thinking, um, or, or rather, I've heard talk about using this in Shiray lists. Uh, so Shiray is four and a black for a two-two um, legendary creature spirit, and basically Shiray is able to bring back creatures with power one or less when they die. Um, so basically, with and, and it does that on on each end step. So with Shambling Ghast, you can sacrifice it multiple times during a round of turns and just generate a whole bunch of treasure or maybe like pick off small creatures your opponents control. Um, so I think that it could be potentially useful in that in that deck. Yeah, uh, I agree. I like cheap zombies, and this one has a lot of utility, a lot more than they usually get, so that's great. Uh, this next card is Sphere of Annihilation. It's X and a black for an artifact. It enters the battlefield with X void counters on it, and at the beginning of your upkeep, exile Sphere of Annihilation. All creatures and planeswalkers with mana value less than or equal to the number of void counters on it, and all creatures and planeswalker cards in graveyards with mana value less than or equal to the number of void counters on it. Uh, what are your thoughts on this card? This is pretty weak option compared to other artifacts and like black removal that we get, like mass removal. But it is an artifact, so it's like you can mill it and then get it back to your hand. Um, if people blow it up, you it's pretty easy to get back, that kind of stuff. Um, so I think like it's not good, but the fact that it's an artifact means it's not the worst, I guess. Mm-hmm. So I'm not super into it, but it might just be the case that it's good enough to run in some lists. Yeah. Uh, I agree i think that it just doesn't really compare favorably to you know damnation or crux of fate or 
even like dead of winter. I think that at this point we've we're we're getting close to enough to having enough like just normal board wipes in black that we don't really have to rely on this. Very last card in black. This is the Book of Vile Darkness. It is black, black, black for a legendary artifact. At the beginning of your end step, if you lost two or more life this turn, create a 2-2 black zombie creature token. You can tap, exile the Book of Vile Darkness and artifacts you control named Eye of Vecna and Hand of Vecna. Uh, Create Vecna, a legendary 8-8 black zombie god creature token with indestructible. It gains all triggered abilities of the exiled cards. It's not uh i'm not super excited with this zombie token generation here um i think that if it triggered once per end step so like on your opponent's turns as well then i would be a bit more keen but the idea of getting like one two two zombie if i jump through a hoop once per round of turns doesn't seem that great to me nope i agree uh not super excited about that maybe this is worth it maybe it gives you enough value and the other cards are good enough and it's just like trivial to play them all but i just highly doubt it yeah like assembling three card combos is it's very challenging in commander and unless vecna literally wins you the game which he probably won't uh i don't think that this is going to be worth it like you know there's Homer from MTG Goldfish has tried to assemble Cauldra so many times in their yeah. <laughs> Commander Clash games, and it just never, ever works out. So I, I really don't think that this is going to be any different, really. Yep. So with all that said, uh, let's get into the red cards, because um, red got a, a lot <laughs> in this mm-hmm. set. So I guess we'll start with Battlecry Goblin. This is a 2-2 goblin for 2 mana, 1 and a red. It has 1 red goblins you control get plus 1, plus 0, and gain haste until end of turn. Uh, and pack tactics, this has come up before, you'll probably see it again. Um, when, whenever Battlecry Goblin attacks, if you attacked with creatures with total power 6 or greater, this combat creates a 1-1 red goblin creature token that's tapped and attacking. So when you attack with this and some other guys, you get a free goblin. Um, and it's pretty easy to do because you can just pump your goblins. Yeah. So it's like kind of trivial. Have, if you have one other 2-2 two, two and you can activate it, then there you go. That's all Yeah, you, you get it. You got to freeze the goblin. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. How do you feel about this? I think this is pretty good in goblin lists. Um, so I think uh, Battlecry Goblin takes up... Uh, I, I think it would fit pretty well in like the lower end of uh, a Krenko list or some other goblin deck because I don't think that the very lowest slots, like the, the two CMC slots, are really competitive in those lists, and this does a lot of what you're trying to do. So I think it could be a solid addition to that archetype. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I um, think it's just enough value to make it into the competitive deck choices that Goblin decks really have these days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which also gets us to this next card, which is pretty cool. So... This is Flame Skull. This is a 3-1 skeleton with flying for one red, red, red. Or, sorry, one red, red. Uh, sorry, this is Flame Skull. A 3-1 flying skeleton for one red, red. So three mana. It can't block, and it has rejuvenation. When Flame Skull dies, exile it. If you do, exile the top card of your library. 
Until the end of your next turn, you may play one of those cards. <laughs> so, um, basically, when Flame Skull dies, you get a choice of you can either cast Flame Skull again or cast whatever else was exiled, which may or may not be better. You may or may not care. Uh, it's it's pretty cool. This is pretty interesting design space for red. Um, how do you feel about this card? Uh, I think it's neat. Um... This I think this brings us a little bit closer to a critical mass of playable red sack fodder. It seems like it could be pretty good in like Quintorius or Anax in that, you know, Quintorius cares about things leaving your graveyard, Anax cares about things entering your graveyard, and this can trigger either one of them repeatedly. So I like it. Uh, it seems really pushed. Even if I don't end up using it that much in Commander, I definitely am going to need a copy for a cube, and it maybe it's playable in Standard too. I don't know. but. Yeah. like a great card yeah exactly this just seems like a really strong magic card so very excited cool that red is getting this kind of effect that's that's just awesome we got another goblin tribal card for everybody they'll <laughs> never end it's eternal this is hobgoblin bandit leader a two three uh goblin rogue for one red red other goblins you control get plus one plus one and red tap hobgoblin bandit leader deals damage equal to the amount of goblins that entered the battlefield under your control this turn to any target. So uh, where are you going to put this card? <laughs> <laughs> oh, which commander can make a lot of goblins? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is there a commander that maybe you don't even have to spend mana and you can just get a ton of goblins into play? Uh -huh. Um. Yeah, Krenko says hello to the Hobgoblin Bandit Leader. Um, this guy is very good in that list. Um, who would have thought Krenko is a good commander? <laughs> wow. All right. Uh, well, I think that's all that needs to be said for this guy. Yeah. We're going to move on <laughs> to the next one. Uh, this is Kick in the Door. It's a single red mana for a sorcery. Put a plus and plus one counter on target creature. That creature gains haste until end of turn and can't be blocked by walls this turn venture into the dungeon uh, so i saw this and immediately thought of zeta hedron grinder as zeta of course when you cast a spell that targets only her she copies it for each other spell or for each other creature you control it could target so if you have a zeta and six other creatures out you will immediately complete the dungeon of the mad mage you'll just speed run that thing uh, and that means <laughs> you'll immediately get to gain a life scry one scry two scry three uh, draw two cards and cast one of them uh, or rather sorry exile the top two cards of your library and cast one of them draw three cards and cast one of them without paying its mana cost it's, you, you get so much stuff for one mana in that deck uh, it seems perfect for Zeta yeah and this is actually a good time to say that we I think we misspoke when we were talking about Dungeon of the Mad Mage I know we've talked about this dungeon a bunch oh, this yes. episode already but um, when you do get to the room where you exile the top two cards of your library and you can cast one, you do have to cast it in that moment. Uh, you don't really get a choice. You can't wait around. Um, so we did, I think, misspeak when we were talking about it before. But yeah, just to clarify, um, it's like the fifth room down or something like that. Yes. You'll, you'll know it when you see it. Um, but and, yeah, this uh, is thanks great. Thanks very much to uh, Charlotte Sables for that correction. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Charlotte. Um, so yeah, this card is cool. I like when these funny little stupid cards are good in Zeta. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it always makes me happy. Um, 
speaking of funny little cards, <laughs> this is a Meteor Swarm. This is X red, red, red for a sorcery. Meteor Swarm deals 8 damage divided as you choose among X target creatures and or players. Um, honestly, like, I love this card. <laughs> this is like <laughs> such a good execution because for 4 mana, you just take something out. Um, and then for a little bit more mana, you take out multiple things. I think this is an interesting way to like do a red burn spell uh, that is pretty okay in commander. I think like if you're trying to take out a bunch of one ones, it's really bad. But if you're just trying to take out some creatures, it's pretty good. Um, yeah, this is definitely like one of the more generous rates of like damage to mana cost in red. Um, it's unfortunate that it is sorcery and that you can't like you know respond to things or whatever. I was thinking that this might be good in Torolf because Torolf just his ability lets you naturally like waterfall the damage. So with him, like you actually could use this to take out a bunch of tokens and still only pay four mana for it. I'm super into this card. I'm gonna try this in some lists. It's it's fun. So <laughs> this is, there's a lot of thoughts in this one little thing I'm trying to say. So it is true. Ediatrek had an episode on uh, cards that. Like commanders that play the most cards from their own set. Hmm. Um, but one of the reasons for that that I, I don't think they touched on in the episode is just that like when they're designing standard sets and when you're talking about standard legends, they design cards within that set and around that set to work with each other. So you kind of end up with parasitic um card designs that play well with cards near them. A lot of the time which might increase the amount of cards from that same year or years uh in that list so meteor swarm is definitely a card for torolf <laughs> torolf exists and they're like this would be a great design for that commander and you know what they're right and we had torbran also kind of works pretty similarly with this card like not nearly as good a rate but um that's one of the reasons we're going to see cards that work pretty well with the commanders they're printing because they want these brawl decks to work and they want people to play standard and et cetera, et cetera. So move on to the next one. This will be a quickie. Uh, this is Orb of Dragonkind. One in a red for an artifact. One, well, one generic tap. Add two mana of any combination of colors. Spend this mana only to cast dragon spells or activate abilities of dragons. You can pay red, tap, and sacrifice Orb of Dragonkind you look at the top seven cards of your library, and you may reveal a dragon card from among them and put it into your hand. Then put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. So this just looks like uh, it's just kind of looks like a mind stone, but only for dragons. Mm -hmm. So if you're in a non-green dragon deck and you're looking for another mind stone, I think this is kind of perfect. But what are yeah. your thoughts? Yeah, definitely. I I agree with that. Um, I think that there are cards like Lathless Dragon Queen or Mother of Dragon. What's her name all the way? Uh, I, I'm not Mother of Dragons. I think yeah. it might be Dragon Queen. Yeah, Yeah. so Lathless, um, whenever you cast a dragon, you get a 5-5 five, five dragon, but she herself is a 6-drop 5-5 five, five flyer. Uh, it makes it kind of hard to cast a bunch of dragons after her. So this is another really cool way to get like her down and then get dragons down after her um that's flavorful it also when you don't need it gets you a relevant card um just i love this card for that and uh yeah like nick said if you're not in green and need some ramp here you go um which 
I, I don't know if you want to say anything else about that. That we can move on to the next uh, next cards. Well, let's move on to the next pair of cards. Woo! So we're going to talk about these in tandem. There's a little bit more to say about one of them, but the first one is Plundering Barbarian. So Plundering Barbarian is a 2-2 Dwarf Barbarian for 3 mana, 2 and a red. When Plundering Barbarian enters the battlefield, choose 1, Smash the Chest, which is Destroy Target Artifact, or Pry it Open, which is Create a Treasure Token. Uh, and we're talking about it in tandem with another 3-drop in red. This is Zorn. It is a 3-2 Elemental for 3 mana, 2 and a red. If you would create one or more treasure tokens, instead create those treasure tokens plus an additional treasure token. So I, I think this is really funny because it's like if you Brass's Bounty and you have eight lands, you only get nine treasures. Mm -hmm. But if you are like flickering your Plundering Barbarian, you get two treasure <laughs> per go. <laughs> so um, very good with like small amounts of treasure production and not super good with the bigger ones. Um, so yeah, I yeah like there's you... things you could do with Zorn and like a pitiless plunderer that's pretty good. Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, let's. I guess let's get into it. Do you want to? Do you want to start with like where where are one or both of these cards good? Uh, so both of these cards are going to be good in uh, Magda. Magda, the the brazen outlaw, the dwarf tribal commander who generates generates treasure as you tap your dwarves. So plundering barbarian is another dwarf, uh, so it will trigger Magda when he swings. But he also comes in with a treasure token, so it just makes it that much easier for you to get the critical number of five treasures so you can activate Magda's second ability and go search out an artifact or a dragon. And then Zorn is very, very good in that list uh, because Magda does generate treasures one at a time. So with Zorn out, she will make them two at a time and just make it that much easier for you to flood the board with dragons or set up an artifact combo or whatever you're trying to do the one thing i am going to say about this is specifically zorn being a rare um like right now like obviously with the set we're getting a lot of treasure because D, D treasure haha makes sense but just treasure is a thing that they're realizing there's a lot of design space for and it's a thing that colors that kind of need the mana can use especially in commander and stuff like that so i would pick up your zorns now <laughs> well they're gonna be kind of junk rares like probably a little cheaper I'm I'm guessing they're not going to be too much more than maybe $3. I don't know. I don't know what they're pre-selling for. Yeah, about $3. And I think they're going to go down as the set releases. And I just think as they keep printing treasure cards, it's going to be more and more desirable, you know? So uh, again, we have an affiliate link. <laughs> <laughs> this card, I think I'm going to pick them up while they're cheap. And um, I can totally imagine that down the line, like a year or two from now, they are a lot more than two or three dollars yeah i can definitely see this one slotting into a lot of uh, commander spellbook combos mm -hmm. so consider picking them up soon yeah and and also i guess one last thing that like if you're playing like a red list with malcolm uh like pirates uh that's you'd want to probably play this too. Like every pirate giving you two treasure on hit is a lot more mana than one pirate on hit. So that's something else to think about. Good point. Um, Which gets us to our next card, which doesn't have any text in it. It's crazy how they printed <laughs> cards like this. Um, uh, yeah, this is Wish. Uh, it is two and a red for a sorcery. You may play a card you own from outside the game this turn. Uh, yeah. Um, wow. They're, it's so funny how they just a blank card this new design space you know <laughs> I, I just want to say like that this is the 38th 
card that functions that well doesn't function in commander because of rule 11 this is the, the 38th card that somehow interacts with cards from outside the game that because of rule 11 doesn't do anything and uh, just for for comparison there are 41 vintage legal cards that have been banned or like cards that are legal and vintage but have been banned in commander so the commander ban list is quickly being overtaken by the number of cards that are de facto banned because wishes aren't allowed to work in Commander. And I think it's unfortunate that, like, you know, despite extremely flavorful, fun designs like this, despite having standard mechanics being entirely built around the, the outside the game area, it's just unfortunate that the rules committee isn't budging. Yeah. I so I'm going to propose this here. I'm not really going to talk about it a lot, but I'm going to start talking about it on like social media and stuff because I've really been thinking about wishes and people argue about wishes. And I think honestly, like I think wishes should be legal. I think you should be able to play with them. And I think you just get three wishes. And as they keep printing cards like companions and lessons and wish and Karn the Great Creator and et cetera, et cetera. On top of the old wishes and stuff like that, three wishes, like that space in your wish board is going to be a choice. Like you are probably going to be able to unban Lutri at some point because you might not want to play Lutri if you want to play your lessons or you not, might not want to have a companion if you want to use like an artifacts for your Karn the Great Creator, et cetera, et cetera. And then well, it would just let people use these cards. And then the rule is something everyone understands. You get three wishes. You can't wish for more wishes. That's it. <laughs> like it's it's pretty simple it's easy to remember it's intuitive i i honestly think that's like what we should just do as we move forward but um yeah, uh, I, yeah. I like that a lot I, I think that some of the the bigger or the some of the resistance i've seen to implementing wish boards has just been like oh so it's just going to be like 10 silver bullets to deal with whatever 10 decks you're most afraid of and it's like if you if you cut it down to three like that's a real decision like you're not going to be covered against any everything and it starts becoming like well why don't i just run these in my main deck if there's only like three decks i'm really afraid of why not just put it where i can tutor them out easily instead of putting them in my wishboard yeah yeah because it's honestly like there i'm like i said i'm not going to go too deep on this like there's an argument because like well if I want to wish for it. Why don't I just put in the deck? Like, blah, blah, blah. Like, why don't I just tutor for it? It's just like a different thing. It's a different flavor. And it's fun to have a modal card. Basically, wish cards are like modal spells. And I had um, a deck a long time ago that used Burning Wish. And my playgroup, like, let me do that. And it, I just had like a few sorceries that were like big game ending sorceries and like depending on the board state and whatever i could get one so it was like fun to have like a modal spell basically that let me get some effect that i don't really want to play every game but like sometimes you do want a decree of annihilation and sometimes you did want an expropriate but you don't want to just expropriate every game because then people get mad at you <laughs> like so stuff like that i think that this is a conversation and like the hurt that people see online and like the arguments that happen it's because people are like passionate about it and there is a fix and like nick said like it, it is kind of disheartening that the rules committee seems so steadfast to make it not work when it seems like it is a pretty easy fix and i really don't think commander would break down if wishes were allowed you know i think it would just be a thing some people want to do people it, like you open a wish in your forgotten realms packs 
and you can put it in your deck and it have a good time and and you know that that should happen you should just be able to play with your cards that's why people like commander you get to play with all your cards mm-hmm. <laughs> that's it i'll get off my high horse and we can get into all right moving on to the green cards we are on the home stretch next up is choose your weapon it is two and a green for an instant you can choose one either two weapon fighting double target creatures power and toughness until end of turn or archery the spell deals five damage to target creature with flying so this seems pretty good in green voltron decks you have like an an atarka world render deck this will make her a one-hit ko palamax also is he has at least one counter on him by the time you cast this and it's just also a one-hit ko just straight to more than 21 damage so that seems pretty solid. And then it also, of course, has this alternate mode that might be useful, just like type a flyer out of the air. It's like just taking an effect that some decks really want and like making it more versatile. And that's great. Uh, I think we can move on to the next card. This is very simple text. We gave a, a little preview of it earlier, but yeah. it is Circle of Dreams Druid. Green, green, green for a 2-1 elf druid. And it has tap, add green for each creature you control. What are your thoughts on this card? This is just, I, it's so funny because like, this is still so good. It's so funny that even like a nerf killable, have to wait a turn, guy's cradle is still so strong. <laughs> <laughs> it just makes so much mana. It can combo out so easily with like the hoop being just have some creatures, mm-hmm. which is not a big ask. I think like you'd found the the stat growing rights of Itlamok is seeing play in almost twenty four thousand decks on EDH rec. Oh yeah, so people are clearly willing to pay three mana for a guy's cradle. Yeah, this just seems like something that people are uh, people are going to be into. So I don't know. I'm going to pick some up. I definitely have decks that want this, and uh, that's <laughs> that's it. I think this is just a good card. Yeah, uh, and one last thing to note. Um... I think it also has some combo potential with things like Staff of Domination or Umbral Mantle. So if your deck already is is able to do those sorts of things, if you're already running those cards, then definitely would slot this in as well for that potential to just kind of win the game out of nowhere. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But I will also be picking up a couple of copies of this using the Commander Theory CG Player affiliate link. Yeah, and this next card, if you're ready for me to read it off. Yeah, go for it. This is Ochre Jelly. This is in X green for an ooze with trample. Uh, it's a zero zero normally. Uh, Ochre Jelly enters the battlefield with X plus one plus one counters on it, and it has split. Whenever Ochre Jelly dies, if it had two or more plus one plus one counters on it, create a token that's a copy of it at the beginning of the next end step. The token enters the battlefield with half that many plus one plus one counters on it, rounded down. So this is like a perfect imitation of like what this monster does in D&D. You cut it, it splits, you cut it, it splits. Eventually they're too small and they die. And also there's some decks that really like this (laughs) that are really good with this card. So when I saw this, like my first thought was how can I get counters back on it easily or cheaply? Uh, And the two best options are probably like Renata um, and Grumgully. So each of them make it so that uh, non-human... Well, Renata makes it so that your creatures enter the battlefield with an additional plus plus one counter. Grumgully lets your non-humans enter the battlefield with an additional plus plus one counter. And both decks tend to sort of uh, revolve around sacrifice 
outlets and persist creatures and try to kind of combo out that way. But uh, both of them also work pretty well with Ochre Jelly. So if you've got like a Sack Outlet and a Renata out and you play your Ochre Jelly for at, at X's at least one, then it'll come into play with two or more plus one plus one counters. You sacrifice it. Um, if it had two counters, it'll try to come into play or try to make a, make a token that's a zero zero with one plus one plus one counter, but it will get an additional plus one plus one counter. So it's never going to be small enough to not come back, essentially. And uh, because it triggers uh, at the beginning of each end step, or rather because the token comes in at the beginning of each end step, you can sacrifice it up to four times per round of turns, assuming you're in a four-person game. So it's just a really good source of sack fodder. Like some of the sack outlets you're running in Renata will get some pretty good value off of that if you've got like an evolutionary leap or something, or if you want to ping somebody down with a uh, blasting station or something. There's just a lot you can do with this, and uh, I think it's uh, a nice little, um, nice little niche card for those types of decks. Yeah, yeah, I like saw it and was like, "Oh, that's really cool. It's really flavorful." And then actually, it's like, "Oh no, this is actually really good." <laughs> so uh, very excited about it. It's really cool. This next card, we're going to talk about the card, but also what it means for the future. So this is a werewolf pack leader. This is a 3-3 human werewolf for green-green, just two mana. It has pack tactics, so again, it came up again. Whenever werewolf pack leader attacks, if you attack with creatures with total power six or greater this combat, draw a card. And then it has an activated ability, three green, until end of turn, werewolf pack leader has base power and toughness, five-three, gains trample, and isn't a human. So that activated ability is um, bad. <laughs> that is bad. The pack tactics is very good, especially on a two mana three three. This definitely seems like it's a plant for uh, Innistrad Midnight Hunt coming up later this year. And if I'm sorry, not if when yeah. uh, we get the the werewolf tribal commander that we've been expecting for the last decade or so, this could be uh, a pretty good option for that deck. Just being a cheap like curve filler werewolf that can draw you a card every turn is probably going to be good enough. Like I've I've run plenty of tribal decks in my day, and even when like your your commander subsidizes something pretty well, just like cheap and generates value is kind of exactly what you want out of a lot of creatures for a tribal decks. So I would keep an eye on this, and I probably. Not going to be super great now, but I, I think this is going to gain a lot of value over the next six months. Yeah, exactly. I think that this is merely a decent uh, creature right now and will be a very good creature in the future. And you can you can quote me on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, this next card is a green artifact. It is Instrument of the Bards. It costs a single green pip. It's a legendary artifact, and it has, at the beginning of your upkeep, you may put a harmony counter on Instrument of the Bards. It also has three green tap. Search your library for a creature card with mana value equal to the number of harmony counters on Instrument of the Bards. Reveal it and put it into your hand. If that card is legendary, create a treasure token, then shuffle. Um, so you get going first. Uh, so this... To me, looks a lot like a Yisan. 
Uh, I will note, though, that um, Yisan only gets counters at when you activate him, whereas this will get bigger every turn. So this is something that you could drop very early and then just like let it get counters on it, and then you don't really start activating it uh, until you know you're actually getting something worthwhile. That said, this is going to take a very long time for that to happen. Um, you know, you you cast it, you don't get your first harmony counter until the next turn, and like for the most part, I I don't think there's that many like one drop creatures you're going to be that interested in getting, uh, and then you know you wait another round of turns. Okay, now that it has two counters on it, I could probably get something, start to get something good, but I'm putting four mana into it, so. I, I don't know. It it's uh it just seems not fantastic. Um <laughs> you know it's it's worth noting though that this is a very cheap legendary spell for Reki, the history of Kamigawa. Mm-hmm. So if you've got a Reki deck and you just want to like trigger him as many times as possible, this is probably gonna be a good addition. Mm-hmm. Um one thing I wanna say is that this is a little bit it just does a little bit more than Yasan. So like mm-hmm. Yasan as a commander is is good. It's a toolbox. You just get a ton of value out of him. But the fact that this can take up at least once a turn, it's not just on the activation. I don't know. I might this might be good enough. I don't actually know. <laughs> not quite sure. So definitely good in Reki. It might I don't know. It I'm want to try it to see like is it still acceptable to tutor up creatures like is there ever a point when i keep it at a mana value like how does this play and does it play better than yasan does just in a list because i could play it and activate it the same turn unlike yasan not optimistic i guess i should say but it's got a little bit more going for it so as like a main deck card but that's kind of it that's the last green card for the day all right we've just got a handful of colorless cards before we wrap things up here Let's see. The first one we're going to talk about is the Deck of Many Things. It's a five mana legendary artifact, and it has two tap, roll a d20, and subtract the number of cards in your hand. If the result is zero or less, discard your hand. If the result is one through nine, return a card at random from your graveyard to your hand. If the result is 10 through 19, you draw two cards. And if you get a 20, you can put a creature card from any graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. When that creature dies, its owner loses the game. So that's pretty pretty interesting final ability there. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about this card? I <laughs> so uh, we had a friend who is like, "All right, who's going to bet against me that they're printing a deck of many things?" They're like, he was like certain that they're going to print a deck of many things cards. Just just absolutely sure that Deck of Many Things is going to appear in this set. And here it is. So uh, hats off to Laser. Thank you. You uh, called it. Good job. Mm-hmm. Um, this card is so funny. Like the fact that you minus your hand size. So you can't get the 20 unless you don't have a hand is like such a funny thing. Because the 20 is basically like you kill someone um, as long as they have a creature and you have a sack outlet or something. But... I don't really know what deck wants this, even though it technically like none of the modes are super bad. It's just I don't know like where maybe maybe like Kirkesh 
that's not a terrible idea. Yeah, I, I, I like that. Um, I think if you've got sort of like a, a mono brown Eldrazi ramp, you might be interested in this because, you know, drawing two cards potentially is is pretty attractive. And then those decks tend to have like a lot of mana available to, to cast this thing. You know, they can often go hellbent. So like it's low risk to activate it. So that's kind of where I'm thinking for it. But uh, Kirkesh makes sense too. We'll see. Oh, uh, there's a lot of stuff to process, so we're doing our best. But this one in particular is kind of a head scratcher. It's like not, definitely not a bad card. I just like don't know <laughs> where I'm gonna put it. Yeah. Um. I guess I would put it in um the Healy, the Ferida. Oh, Ferida. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, that's a because it's like a decent Tyrol card. Yeah. Exactly. It's a Tyrol card that doesn't suck. <laughs> Much like the next one. <laughs> Spoiler alert, this is Treasure Chest. So Treasure Chest is a three mana artifact, and it has four sacrifice treasure chest, roll a d20. Uh, so this one has nat one, trapped, you lose three life. Two to nine, create five treasure tokens. Ten to nineteen, you gain three life and draw three cards. And then nat 20, search your library for a card if it's an artifact card you may put it onto the battlefield otherwise put that card into your hand then shuffle honestly most of these modes are very good two to 20 are pretty okay the fact that you have to spend four to activate this means that like when you get the the five treasure tokens it's not crazy but like going end of turn pop my treasure chest roll a d20 oh i got five treasures and then starting your turn with that is like pretty decent Obviously, drawing three cards and gaining three life is pretty good, and then sneaking an artifact or big thing in your hand or the battlefield, that's pretty good, too. So I like it, and again, I don't really know what I'm going to do with it. <laughs> uh, I was thinking maybe, maybe in like a Magda list, because that way, like, okay, obviously Trapped is terrible, but that way if you get the five treasure tokens, that translates into instantly... Uh, getting an artifact or a dragon from out of your deck onto the battlefield. So basically like it increases your your hit rate significantly. Like that way basically 2 to 9 and 20 all kind of get you the same thing, which seems good. Uh mm-hmm. and then like gaining 3 and drawing gaining 3 life and drawing 3 cards, that's like fine. Um but you've got like a 50/50 shot of just boom activating your commanders second ability getting something really strong onto the battlefield yes so i don't really have much more to say about this i i'm excited to see what happens honestly like for casual players like rolling dice like this is like gonna just be an exciting moment and the fact that they made none of these cards like have super feel bad things is pretty good like this is i think one of the only cards in the set that has a negative when you roll a one on it (laughs) Uh, and that's super flavorful. So I think these cards are just going to be fun. You know, like the table is going to be pumped to to experience it with you to see what the result is. And then other cards are going to be too warping in any way. So, yeah. The next card is Dungeon Descent. It is a land. It enters a battlefield tap. It taps for a colorless. And it has four tap, tap and untap legendary creature you control. Venture into the dungeon. Activate only as a sorcery. <laughs> I'm not super high on this card. I don't know about you. <laughs> um, no, I don't care about this. 
Yeah, this is, I'm seeing three significant drawbacks in addition to like the expensive, the expensive cost to activate. Uh, like I kind of view venturing into the dungeon as like, honestly, like probably a one mana effect, maybe. So, you know, going out of my way, losing out on mana for the first turn, only tapping for colorless when like the, the dungeon decks, well, several of the multi the dungeon decks are multicolor like the the precon commander is three colors that seems like a pretty big drawback paying four and tapping it tapping on tap legendary creature you control only as a sorcery like so many downsides on this card i just don't think it's gonna work i don't know why r&d is so afraid of venture as a mechanic this is treasure vault and uh, i didn't realize at the time but it is an artifact land uh, it has tap add colorless and it has x x tap sacrifice treasure vault create x treasure tokens so <laughs> they're just willy-nilly cranking out these artifact lands like not that this one is is like crazy strong or like does anything busted but it it, it was such a contested issue for so many years mm-hmm. that to have so many artifact lands just be injected into modern and stuff the last month is like kind of weird you know that's kind of strange so i mean this isn't i don't think this is format warping it just is an interesting turn of developments and uh is pretty good in certain lists so i don't know if you want to you want to bring up some of those yeah uh so i i definitely like the ability to fit artifacts into oswald fiddlebender you know without really taking up slots so being able to just have this as one of the lands in my mana base and then sack it for like a grindstone or something. That seems great. Um, it's also kind of free sack fodder for Duretti Scrap Savant. Uh, and then it also makes Emery cheaper if you're, you've got an Emery Lurker of the Lock deck. Uh, it'll also help you get to Metalcraft if you've got like a Jorkadine list. And it's like kind of ramp for Galazeth Prismari decks. Like I can imagine you spending one turn just like set like tapping all of your lands to sack this for a bunch of treasure tokens well to get half as many treasure tokens and then that is just kind of like permanent ramp going forward that you can just tap with galazeth so i think there's you know for the artifact focus decks uh there's there's plenty that are going to be interested in this Mm -hmm. yes i just want to take a brief second to like sort of talk about our overall thoughts for the set Yes, that's a great idea. <laughs> uh, so just kind of like flipping through all the cards we talked about today, um, I see like, you know, one potential new staple for green with Circle of Dreams Druid. But really, for the most part, it's just been a, a lot of uh, niche cards, like not things that are generally useful, with the exception of white. I, I really think that my white made out better than any other color from this set and just got a lot of really important tools and things that are going to affect how it plays in commander in the long term like over the next couple of years i think it's been a fantastic set for white and i hope to see like this kind of power level for white cards well actually not even power level it's it's really just seems like the white cards in this set have a lot more handholds for synergy like guardian of faith isn't really different from what we've gotten before except that it's a creature, which means we can, you know, search it out or refer it from the graveyard. And 
similarly, like with Moon Blessed Cleric, like we've gotten, you know, a few enchantment tutors over the year, but this one happens to be a creature. And so there's just so much more play with it. And teleportation circle, like we've gotten plenty of one shot blink effects, but to have this engine uh, going forward is really going to change how white plays. So I, I think it's been a great set for white. And I am really excited to get my hands on some of these cards. I don't know, how, how do you feel? Pretty much the same. I was like not really expecting to want like a lot of cards from the set, but there's actually a decent amount of just like very particular <laughs> cards that do like very niche things that um, I'm excited for. I think it's kind of inevitable at this point when they're printing like 20 ish legends a set <laughs> nowadays, mm-hmm. like 30 sometimes that like. We're gonna, cause yeah. How many legends do we get this set? We got one, two, think, three. Four. Well, I think we got. It looks like we've got one for each draft archetype, plus like cycle of mythic dragons, um, some rares. It it seems like a lot. Seems like yeah, it's more close than to thirty. Yeah. yeah, it's close to thirty this set. So, and if that keeps happening, like there's going to be a legend that probably sparks interest. Um, and I've said this before in the podcast, but I actually think that's a good thing like it's for a podcast like like us (laughs) like commander theory where we're really trying to take a high level look at the format and like what is possible and uh like where the format is going what design is is kind of telling us about these new cards it's a lot of work because we have to go through them all and figure out like what is going on what are people probably going to do then check in on that later be like oh yeah this commander came out what are they doing but i do think that like as a listener or as someone who like isn't super invested you don't need to do that <laughs> like like you should like please listen to these reviews see if there's anything that sparks your interest and honestly if you forget about some of these commanders that's great because later on you're gonna go to a shop or your friend's gonna come over and be like i built so and so and you're gonna be like who is so and so like what does that card do and it's going to be a lot like the format was a long time ago it's going to feel like there's a lot of exploration there's a lot of um a lot of space to explore backwards uh, for a long time it felt like the format was legend is released people build it we know what's going on next set comes out some legends are released people build it we know what's going on and then those decks are like taken apart inevitably when the next like exciting legend comes out but now it's like there's like an embarrassment of riches and i i only i I know people are complaining they're like too many legends too many decks i want to build and it's like well we have nothing but time (laughs) (laughs) like you'll have time to build all these i'm like finally getting around to building like an amareth deck that uh from commander legends that like Mm -hmm. i hadn't had time to build and i i uh am just gonna keep on trucking at the rate that my budget (laughs) will (laughs) allow me to do and and uh i uh, ask that you do the same so i this set in particular like i said tons of legends to build around i didn't expect it and like a bunch of niche cards that i'm really excited for so i know this is one of the sets where like the they were kind of hamstrung by flavor but in some regards that like made it really cool because then you get like teleportation circle and and uh like these other cool just designs that are dripping with flavor but like really good for something you're trying to do mm-hmm. um and that only just makes me happy so so play the set buy what you want your money is yours don't let fomo rule your life 
having all this product in the world is only a good thing because uh, especially if it's available like a non-limited print run set like this because then then we're gonna depress yeah. the price yeah it's gonna yeah if if not everyone is building the same commanders then your commander will be cheaper <laughs> to build you know mm-hmm. so uh, that's only a good thing all right uh well with that uh i want to briefly can I ask you one more question before we go yeah of course okay uh so this is coming from our patrons um so Kaidel, one of our patrons was asking and, and I think you might be a little bit better qualified to answer this one. Uh, do you think that Dungeons and Dragons Adventures in the Forgotten Realms was a success? Uh, did, it, did it bring enough D&D flavor while retaining the feeling of magic and bringing new and exciting cards? What do you think? Uh, yeah, I do, actually. So I do think it was a success. I think that the flavor is there. I think there's a lot of cool cards. And I think that if someone were to come to this set, from D&D, then they would have a good time and uh, kind of be able to latch onto the things that they liked from D&D in the first place. So that that's it. I, good job, Wizards. Like, you you made a cool set and you didn't break anything else. <laughs> yeah, I think they had, like, a real challenge ahead of them. Uh, again, like, I can't fully judge, like, how well they're executing on the D&D things, but I can tell, like, there, there's points where it's it's clear that they are bending how magic works to accommodate D&D um, and I think they did it in a way that's not off-putting to the magic player even though the set is kind of like not for us-ish yeah so I, I think it was successful and I, I hope that this brings a lot of new players into the game can't wait to see uh, how this affects you know the, the overall magic player base yes well before we go I'm going to give a Brief shout out to our Patreon patrons. They are Gustav, Ryan, Mark, Rick, Raphael, Laser, Charlotte, Anna, Andy, Dylan, James, Logan, Roger, Evan, Bryce, Dylan, Benjamin, Jamie, Matthew, Jason, Kyle, Brandon, Kevin, Kaidel, Jeremy, Russell, Dylan, Leo, Ian, John, John, Tom, Micah, Troy, Roxanne, Charles, Daniel, and Ellie. Thank you all for supporting the show. And if you're not currently a Patreon patron but would like to become one, please check us out at patreon.com slash commander theory. Thanks for listening. Hello, everybody. This is Zach on a completely different microphone uh, at a completely different point in time uh, with the first update. So um, due to the girth of this episode and car troubles, you're listening to this a little bit late. And me and Nick had some plans that did not come to fruition. So we were able to record most of this episode in one go we were going to sneakily record um, some like addendums and I was going to edit them in, but like I said, due to car troubles and life, you're not only getting this episode late, I'm just, I don't really have time to make the edits and make it sound like, uh, like we wanted. So we are, I'm just going to inject <laughs> our addendums in at this point in the episode. You're about to hear, basically, some cards that were spoiled. We just thought all the bangers would be done um, by Sunday, and they weren't. So <laughs> so you're going to hear us talk about some more cards that are pretty rad, some Planeswalkers, and then I'll, I'll come back at the very, very end with one more little thing, because for some reason they waited till Monday to give us a cool devil, devil god. So, uh, it'll just be me talking about I'm going to give a little thing. So, 
Uh, I know this episode is probably going to be four hours long. Thank you for sticking around this long. Oh, you are almost there. Um, yeah, so that's why that's why we're going to be out of order on these next cards. I just didn't have time to edit this section. So uh, we love you all. Thank you for listening. You'll hear me one more time. Uh, the future, Zach, uh, at the end of the episode. So bye. All right, uh, moving on to the next commander. Uh, we have here one uh, looks pretty interesting. I'm going to see if I can pronounce this correctly. A Sararak, Lord of Undeath. Two and a black for a legendary creature, Zombie Wizard. It's a 5-5. And when it enters the battlefield, if you didn't complete Tomb of Annihilation, return a Sararak to its owner's hand and venture into the dungeon. Whenever a Sararak attacks, for each opponent, create a 2-2 black zombie creature token unless the defending player sacrifices a creature. Uh, so I think this is a pretty interesting commander. I really like that it's a uh, essentially a win con if you can like cast it over and over. So I'm thinking like the the deck for this commander looks like a lot of cost reduction effects, and then one of the few ways to sort of pay for that black mana repeatedly. Um, so cost reduction effect. There's tons of things uh, like. Some will get you all of the way there by themselves. So like a uh, a Heartless Summoning or an Urza's Incubator set to Zombie um, or like a, um, uh, there's a couple others. Um, so there's a handful of cards that can kind of take care of the entire generic cost by themselves. But when it comes to dealing with that, that black pip, you really only have two options. There's Carnival of Souls, which is one of the black for an enchantment. Whenever a creature enters the battlefield, you lose one life and add black to your mana pool. So that'll allow you to keep casting your commander over and over if you also have a way to reduce the generic cost. And then the other way to do it is with Crick, Son of Yogmoth. So this is the, the card released in C19 that allows you to pay to life instead of paying the mana for every black symbol in a cost so essentially he makes all of your black pips into phyrexian mana and so if you have like uh, if you have your urza's incubator if you have your semblance anvil if you have your heartless summoning whatever to make to get rid of that generic cost on a sararak then you can use your crick pay to life to cover the black pip or just rely on carnival of souls to keep replenishing that black mana in either case uh, you're going to have an issue where like, you can venture over and over, but you're limited by your life total because you're going to be going down by either one life or two life every time you cast your commander. So uh, that's where we get some pretty interesting tech. I think this is like one of the few decks that like actually seriously wants to run like Staff of the Death Mages or <laughs> Prism Ring or... Uh, like Demon's Horn. There's just a handful of these cards. Well, there's the also... Lucky Charms, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the Lucky Charms. Um, also, Aetherflux Reservoir kind of serves this role as well. But there's just a handful of cards that'll let you gain life as you're um, casting your commander over and over. And then as long as you just never go through the Tomb of Annihilation, uh, you can your win condition is basically going to be, you know, uh, going through the Lost Minds of Fandelver over and over, and then just draining your opponent for one each time you hit that level three and uh, and go into the Dark Pool. 
So that's seems like a it, it's nice that you can kind of offload the win condition from this deck and basically just make it so it's like looking for the the combo pieces to reduce your commander's cost down to zero. It is worth noting that uh, even if you can only get the cost reduction going, like you can casting your commander and venturing for a single black mana is still pretty good. And if you're venturing through, say, like Dungeon of the Mad Mage, uh, you're you know scrying six and drawing five cards at, at each time you complete it. That's a pretty good rate for a single black mana. Like to pay seven black, scry six, draw five cards. That will help you find the last pieces of the combo or or the tutors to to find them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really funny to me that like this really seems like a deck where they wanted to incentivize like finishing a particular dungeon like this is one of the only cards that really mentions a particular dungeon but in doing so made the other part of the card just like pretty buck wild so i i'm yeah uh, it, it, it's I'm definitely <laughs> it's definitely funny that like a sarah Rax, uh commander deck will never ever set foot in the tomb of annihilation i think that's pretty cool yeah <laughs> Yeah, only in the most casual of circles. Yeah. One last thing I want to mention about Acerarak is if you happen to have like a blue-black zombie deck and you're running Rooftop Storm already, uh, Acerarak is an infinite combo just with Rooftop Storm. You don't have to jump through all these hoops with like cost reduction and like... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So consider slotting it in just to like make it so it's an easy two-card combo that kind of synergizes with what your deck's already doing. but with that, I think we can move on to the next commander. Mm-hmm. So Inferno of the Star Mounts is a 6-6 six, six dragon uh, for 6 mana, 4 red red. It has this spell can't be countered. And it has flying and haste. It also has an ability that, that on first glance looks really familiar. It says red. Inferno of Star Mount gets plus 1, plus 0 until end of turn. When its power becomes 20 this way, Inferno of Starmount deals 20 damage to any target. <laughs> <laughs> so you if you can make the power 20 with this last like pip of red mana, then you just dome someone or just deal 20 to something or kind of whatever you want, you know? Just just go for it. Yeah, this is a pretty funny commander. Um I think there's not a huge amount of build around. Um but I can think of a couple cards that kind of synergize with this. Uh, so one would be like Planar Chaos, that incredibly annoying enchantment from uh, Judgment that makes it so that at the beginning of your upkeep, it's two and a red for an enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, flip a coin. If you lose the flip, sacrifice Planar Chaos. And then whenever a player casts a spell, they flip a coin. And if they lose the flip, uh, Planar Chaos counters that spell. So it's like a symmetrical effect. You'll probably see it in a lot of chaos decks, but because your commander can't be countered, um, you can kind of break the symmetry on that and kind of like mess up everyone else's game plan. But your game plan of just like I'm gonna cast my commander and beat face with this enormous dragon, uh, that's kind of untouched. So that's some potential tech. And then also there are a couple ways in mono red to cheat the the activation a little bit. So rather than having to activate this, this stupid card like 14 times, um, there's a bunch of ways to get immediate or get a lot closer. 
So if you like unleash fury, uh, which doubles target creatures power for as an instant for one and a red, or you can rush of blood, those will also help you get a lot closer to the 20 damage trigger. So those are some of the kinds of things I'm thinking about with this commander. Yeah, it's um, pretty funny. I don't really have much to add. I, like you said, there's not really a lot of like tech specifically the the tech for this card is like just a handful of cards um but i actually think this is kind of a fun deck <laughs> from mono red i think when you have the turns where you go off and you can just deal 20 um it's gonna feel really good <laughs> mm-hmm. it's gonna feel like pretty awesome and if you can get to the point where you can like trigger it multiple times in a turn uh, and also attack that's gonna feel awesome <laughs> <laughs> i was pretty uh tickled to see this card i guess yeah it's uh definitely a funny one I'm, i have no idea what the lore behind this is but hopefully it's uh something exciting for the D players who are coming into magic through this set yeah exactly i actually don't know anything about this particular dragon so um i'm hoping i'm assuming this is spot on but who knows <laughs> Mm-hmm. So we are going to start the Planeswalkers today with Grand Master of Flowers. This is two white-white for a three loyalty legendary Planeswalker Bahamut. As long as Grand Master of Flowers has seven or more loyalty counters on him, he's a 7-7 dragon god creature with flying and indestructible. Plus one, target creature without first strike, double strike, or vigilance can't attack or block until your next turn. Plus one. Search your library and or graveyard for a card named Monk of the Open Hand, reveal it, and put it into your hand. If you search your library in this way, shuffle. So uh, I guess I ought to read Monk of the Open Hand as well, just so you have a better idea what that does. Uh, Monk of the Open Hand is a single white mana for a 1-1 creature elf monk. It has Flurry of Blows. Whenever you cast your second spell each turn, put a plus and plus one counter on Monk of the Open Hand. Before we sort of get into discussing this card, I do want to note that um, he stops being a planeswalker when he when he is a dragon. So damage dealt to him in dragon form won't cause him to lose loyalty. Uh, so he's kind of just like a quest to get a seven set of an indestructible dragon god. Uh, what do you think about Grandmaster of Flowers? I think this is a really interesting card, and I think it would be more interesting if it worked in commander the way it did in brawl like in brawl this can be your commander so you can just like actually play with bahamut and try to get him to seven like be the seven seven and fight um the there's like not, you can't really do anything because like the monk of the open hand is not that good of a card mm-hmm. <laughs> like a one one for one isn't that good of a card but like a four mana like that you have to work for seven seven that's fly has flying an indestructible like as someone who's played with indestructible commanders like it's really nice when you don't have to recast your commander so it seems like there's like like just fogging isn't good enough just getting monks of the open or a monk of the open hand in the case of commander isn't really good enough and the work that you have to put in is kind of not good enough so unless this is just going into a super friends list where like people are just not going to be incentivized to attack him because there's like something else way nastier or something like that. You have ways to protect him. Like I really don't see 
why I would run him. Yeah, I feel the same way. Like, this is a lot of work to get something I don't care much about. Um, yeah. So I'm not very keen on this this planeswalker. If it could possibly have been my commander, I might have cared somewhat. And as it is now, I don't care at all. Mm-hmm. So yeah, kind of a miss for me. But I do think it's clever. Also to note, I, I literally just saw on Twitter that um, Bahamut being a like the Grandmaster of Flowers is new. Like this is a new thing because he could always shape shift. Um, that was a thing that especially like gold and silver dragons like to do is like be humans and that's why there's a lot of dragonborn Mm -hmm. (laughs) in the world but bahamut being the grandmaster of flowers like being a monk themselves is like a new thing so interesting don't know why they did that but they did yeah interesting choice uh but i think we can move on to the next planeswalker which is mordenkainen and uh, you know if i butcher any pronunciation please uh let me know no, that's, okay. that's pretty pretty close to what it is. Oh, what what is it actually? It's it's. I mean, it's Mordenkainen's like disjunction, and so you you basically hit the nail on the head. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, this guy is four blue blue for a five loyalty legendary planeswalker Mordenkainen, plus two draw two cards, then put a card from your hand on the bottom of your library. Minus two, create a blue dog illusion creature token with this creature's power and toughness are each equal to twice the number of cards in your hand. And minus 10, exchange your hand and library, then shuffle. You get an emblem with, you have no maximum hand size. Fun fact, Mordenkainen is a character originally played by Gary Gygax, uh, and they just kind of like got canonized uh, in, in all the supplemental material. But in terms of this card itself, it, the ultimate probably wins the game, yeah. but it doesn't seem super attainable if unless you have like a doubling season or a Vorinclex monstrous raider. The plus two seems pretty good. It's you know good card advantage, good selection. Uh, the minus two is kind of whatever. It's just like a big beefy dog. I would say I wouldn't run this in most commander decks, but if you're running like a super friends deck and you're just looking for like another blue value planeswalker, um, this is fine. It's not like embarrassing to run or anything yeah i think like if you're running a blue deck that works with counters or just like kind of needs a win con because you draw a lot of cards like the dog can do that this guy can do that if you can just win with your deck in your hand it's probably fine to run this guy because like really looks unappetizing to attack honestly like Mm -hmm. i wouldn't really attack a mordekainen unless i had to (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like there's i'm not really scared of any of these abilities like it's gonna come out poop out a dog and then like if i have a flyer maybe i can hit him uh, maybe you just drew some cards and then what do i care like it's it's he's not very scary as a planeswalker so i don't know yeah kind of again like a pretty fair planeswalker which means that uh, i don't necessarily care unless there's like an extraneous circumstance for commander yeah, I definitely wouldn't run this um, unless I was maybe... Yeah, I, I wouldn't run this in most commander decks, I'd say. I feel like there's probably decks out there that have a reason to run this, and uh, as time goes on, we'll be like, oh, okay. But mm-hmm. right now, I I don't know. don't feel it. Yep. Okay, so I'm just going to read off this next card. So this next card is True Polymorph. So True Polymorph is an instant. It's blue. It costs six mana, four blue, blue. And it says, 
target artifact or creature becomes a copy of another target artifact or creature. So basically for six mana at instant speed, you turn a thing into another thing. And that's actually pretty good. (laughs) Yeah. Just turning someone's commander into like a signet or something is is pretty annoying for them to get out of. It really locks it down pretty effectively. So I like the effect a lot, but in terms of it's really the cost that kind of kills this for me. Like six is just too much. Like we are <laughs> like like the cards that do similar things are like Song of the Dryads, Dark Steel Mutation, uh Oubliette, Imprison in the Moon, Henrith's Transformation. Like we're expecting to pay two to three mana for this type of effect. So I really don't think that this gets there. I can't like like we just got the thing with Fortel. Uh, oh, Mystic, from, Ref- uh, Mystic Reflections. Or yeah, that. that's right, and that's like very close to this. I mean, granted, uh, Mystic Reflection can't hit something that's already on the battlefield, but in either case, I wouldn't really be wanting to pay more than two or three mana for an effect like this, and so I'm not too keen on this card. Yeah, I think the reason it's six man is because it can be like offensively used to you can turn like a token into a dragon or you can turn like a sapperling into a blocker or um something like that. So I agree with you. It feels overcosted to me, but I can also see why they were hesitant to like this set was supposed to not be pushing the power level boundaries so i can see why they're hesitant to like try with this card if that makes sense yeah um but yeah that's kind of it's kind of it it's it's in a weird spot because of that mm-hmm. six mana <laughs> do you want me to read off this next card sure go for it so this is long rest this is a green sorcery it costs x green 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 It says return X target cards with different mana values from your graveyard to your hand. If eight or more cards were returned to your hand this way, your life total becomes equal to your starting life total. Exile long rest. Um, (laughs) This is like, it just scales so poorly. (laughs) Like Seasons Past is a card I played with a lot and I like a lot. And I have a deck that i actively try to farm like how many cards i can get back with seasons pass like getting back more cards is better with the deck that i play season one of the decks i play seasons pass in which is just six mana uh return a cmc of each different type to your hand so zero one two three four five like this the difference between that and long rest is like i have to pay for Like Seasons Pass is always six mana. It will get between like three and seven cards. Long Rest is in Expel, yes, but like if you're paying four for this, like that sucks. And if you're paying six for this, like Seasons Pass is just better. Mm-hmm. Like I so I don't know. It just it seems bad. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, it's only at the really high values of X that it starts to outclass existing options. Like, pretty much unless you're... If you're doing it for any less than 8, then there's got to be something better to run. Like, I mean, Praetor's Council costs 8 mana. Um, Yes. (laughs) So, But if you are running, like, a deck with just an abundance of mana, 
something like a Crufix, God of Horizons, or a Roshin Meanderer, then you know a, a deck that's like not gonna l- like blink too hard at this mana cost. Then I think you could run it in there, like being able to play Crufix and just like take a beating for the first couple turns while you set up your mana, and then get everything back to your hand and go back up to forty. Like that seems pretty good to me. So outside of that scenario, though, there I just wouldn't run this card. All right. So earlier we discussed the Book of Vile Darkness, and that mentioned the Eye of Vecna and the Hand of Vecna. So I'm going to read these two off. Eye of Vecna is two cost legendary artifact. When it enters the battlefield, you draw a card and you lose two life. And then at the beginning of your upkeep, you may pay two. If you do, you draw a card and you lose two life. Uh, the first thing I thought looking at this was um, because it's legendary, it's pretty good in Reki, the history of Kamigawa, because it's essentially draw two cards for two mana. So that's a pretty good rate. And then just as sort of like an ongoing uh, card draw engine, it looks a little bit like Endless Atlas uh, in that, although it's you know broader than that, but it can mm-hmm. sort of draw you a card for, you know, every turn for an invest an ongoing investment of two mana. And I think that like if you're in a color identity that's kind of starved for card draw, like mono brown, mono white, maybe mono red or boros, I think it kind of makes sense in those lists. Um are there any other decks where you think this might be good? Like off the top of my head, not too much. I um think just like mono white, like you're saying, is really the place that i'm going to try this the most because something just about those decks is you just always feel like you're at the whims of like just fate basically like Mm -hmm. what did i draw was it what i needed because there's some very powerful white answers but there's also very situational white cards or cards that are just not good and a lot of white's cards are bad if you're ahead and so if you're ahead you can't draw as many cards or get as many lands or whatever it is so it's kind of nice to have a card like Aya Vecna that just doesn't matter where you are in your game plan you can keep drawing cards Mm -hmm. uh it's gonna keep doing its thing it'll reliably do its thing and it might be at a lower rate than some other things but still good so that's kind of how i feel about this card i'm probably just gonna play it in some lists or pick up a few copies to see if they're like good enough in various like mono white mono red list stuff like that yeah i'm gonna give this a shot it's definitely one of the more promising like card draw options we've seen in a little while all right uh and then with that let's move on to the hand of vecna oh yeah so hand of vecna is a three cost legendary artifact equipment at the beginning of combat on your turn equipped creature or a creature you control named vecna gets plus x plus x until end of turn where x is the number of cards in your hand equip you can pay one life for each card in your hand or you can equip for two looking at this card it looks a lot to it looks a lot like imperial plate to me um (laughs) so imperial plate is two cost equipment equips for two equipped creature gets plus plus one for each card in your hand uh but that card mostly sees play in like hefnet the mindful or like other Voltroni lists that tend to have a large hand size outside of like those narrow decks it doesn't see much play and so i think Vec- hand of vecna could possibly 
sort of fill that same niche and maybe go into some of those same decks? No, actually, I actually do like this. I think one of the things about Imperial Blight is that it's really like, I don't know if listeners out there have played with Imperial Blight um, or the the um, aura that does the same thing, but they're very good. <laughs> like, actually, like it's it. They're always a little bit more efficient than like the going rate. Just because of your hand, especially if you have like a, a deck that can draw cards, it's like a pretty good win condition if you have an evasive commander, but they're small. But it just like doesn't look sexy. Like Imperial Plate never like there's just equipment that does cooler things. There's equipment that does more than just make a your your person big. Uh so I'm hoping that what happens is that um people will just slap this bad boy onto a commander with the pay one life. And hopefully that's what it takes to like make <laughs> Imperial Plate like look playable to people because I actually do honestly think it's a really good card. I, I just I understand that it doesn't look as powerful as it is. And, and until you really have played with it, it's uh its power is kind of hidden from you. Um it, it's hard to think of other cards that are like that, but that's definitely something i found to be true like every now and then a card comes up and it's like pretty hard to judge what it is until you play with it and i feel like hand of vecna imperial plate is going to be like that for some people maybe maybe hand of vecna makes people go back to imperial plate once they realize like oh um this is just big all the time instead of um on my combat (laughs) (laughs) yeah that is definitely uh kind of awkward wording it's clearly done that so I mean clearly I've done that so that uh it works with Vecna and so Vecna can like have this triggered ability because there's no way it would work if it was like just equipped creature gets plus x plus x like Vecna is not going to be an equipment. Yeah, exactly. Uh so let's talk for a second about assembling Vecna and like how we could go about doing that. I think that in most decks it's not worth it to put the Vecna pieces assembling a three card combo where like the three cards don't really contribute to your game plan very much. That's not a good way to win a game of commander. But I think that there are a couple of decks out there that you could argue the the, the individual pieces would look fine in that they, they kind of synergize with or they just don't look too out of place. I'm thinking Erebos Bleakhearted would be a good commander for all these Vecna pieces. So like, for example, he can trigger the book by like, you know, paying two life when the creature control dies, draw a card. Uh, he can make use of the zombie by sacrificing it and then paying life and drawing a card. Uh, and also like the book adds a ton to his devotion, which is helpful for like making it so that you can actually block with him or attack with him. Uh, the deck naturally ends up with a lot of cards in hand because you're just sac- you know sacrificing your little dorks and uh, refilling your hand. So like Hand of Vecna isn't terrible. It's going to significantly increase your clock if you've gotten to the point where you're, you're able to swing with Erebos. Or you can just like throw Hand of Vecna on one of your like random sack fodder creatures. Like putting a Hand of Vecna on like another trader and having an 8-8 uh, shadow creature seems pretty solid. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. And then Aya Vecna is 
pretty easy to fit into a lot of decks. Like, you know, worst case scenario, it's like a two mana cantrip. And then you can, if you have the mana available, you can just use it to draw cards over time. Mm-hmm. And and also, like, just from a little bit of a flavor standpoint, you know, Erebos is the god of the dead. Vecna is the god of undeath. I think that's, uh, yeah. <laughs> it kind of works on that level as well. Yeah, it feels pretty good. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah, I feel like people, I, I'm going to be surprised, like, when Magic Fest start up again, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be playing against someone and they go like, oh, yeah, Vecna's in here. And I'll be like, oh, that's cool. As someone who has tried to assemble Caldra multiple times, um, I can tell you that I have done it. Um, I have made a Caldra, and uh, it it was underwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> uh, didn't quite do everything I needed it to do. Big surprise. Vecna probably in like casual circles will do a little bit more but i don't think it's better than like a merit lage so um i think if you're putting vecna together then you you just you love a challenge that's that's why you're you're doing it it's not you acknowledge that it's not the the best uh that there could probably be other cards in your deck that do that but you're just here to have a good time and you know what i i support that i love that chase chase those dreams and i'm excited to see where people put them (laughs) and if they can actually put them together so yeah yeah seems neat um but yeah so i guess at this point now uh we have some predictions so uh, (laughs) so modern horizons 2 was very very recently it was within the last like two weeks yeah, I, I have like not that. actually received all of my orders for Modern Horizons yeah. 2, <laughs> yeah, much less like drawn the cards for Modern Horizons that I've put in my decks. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm right there with you. Um, so uh, we're not going to go over <laughs> those, yeah. those ones right yeah. now. Yeah, so our, we're, we're just going to be pushing off, um, checking our Modern Horizons 2 predictions. Uh, basically, the plan is when... When Innistrad um, comes out in September, uh, we're going to be checking both our Modern Horizons 2 and Adventures in the Forgotten Realms predictions, uh, just so that people have had a time to actually play with the cards. Yes. Um, But right now, we have some predictions for you on which cards in Adventures in the Forgotten Realms are going to see the most play on EDH Rec, and we're quantifying that as the number of decks on EDH Rec utilizing that card so if you don't mind i'm gonna go first yeah go for it uh so just as i was putting together my predictions it kind of like solidified something in my head that i mentioned a bit earlier it just seems like white is doing so so well here so so my predictions i've got um guardian of faith this is the creature with flash and vigilance for three mana that comes in and you can phase out uh, any number of other creatures you control looks a bit like Teferi's protection if you squint a bit. Teferi's, Teferi's protection, obviously, seeing play in almost forty thousand decks on EDH Rec. So I think Guardian of Faith has uh, potential to to do some good numbers as well. Another card I was looking at was Circle of Dreams Druid. This is green, green, green for a two-one elf druid that is basically Gaia's cradle on a creature. Uh, don't have to tell you all how good Gaia's Cradle is. I expect this to see a lot of adoption. <laughs> uh, I've got Moon Blessed Cleric. 
on my list. And, you know, Moon Bless Cleric, it's the uh, two and a white for a little cleric that can search out an enchantment and put it on top of your library when it enters the battlefield. White is still pretty starved for enchantment tutors. This is a, a pretty good one. Idyllic Tutor sees play in about 25,000 decks. This is definitely, I mean, on raw power, it's worse than that, but being a creature, there's just a lot more you can do with it. Um, and it's, you know, also is worth noting that because it's an uncommon, it's going to be super cheap, super easy to pick up, and super easy to, to fit even into like budget commander decks. Also on my list, I have Teleportation Circle. Uh, this is the three and a white enchantment that at the beginning of your end step, you can blink a creature or artifact. And um, Thassa Deep Dwelling currently sees play in 13,000 decks on EDHREC. So I think this like white version with, well, not exactly the same, but like white, cheaper uh, Conjurer's Closet that hits more things. I think that's just a recipe for a good card. I, I expect to see a lot of play. Mm-hmm. I've got also this is probably the one I'm least certain about. Um I've got old Gnawbone on my list. This is the <laughs> uh the mono green seven mana dragon. Uh it's a seven seven with flying, and basically all combat damage your creatures deal creates that many treasures. Even though there is a pretty similar card already in existence with Sikiko Mother of Summer. Uh I think the fact that this is like you know, it's bigger, it's beefier, it's more high profile, and it it being a dragon, I think, is really relevant. There's just so many dragon decks out there, and this is like a very, very good dragon. The idea that you can like cast this and immediately like profit on mana by like you know three hundred percent or something uh, has got to be really appealing to a lot of people. So the the one thing I'm concerned about is like if this is a mythic that kind of everyone is is looking at then maybe that like that'll affect the price and that might reduce adoption but um i am speculating that it's gonna be good uh, i've also got eye of vecna this is the, the card we just talked about earlier the um two mana legendary artifact that enters the battlefield you lose two and draw a card and then at the beginning of your upkeep you can pay two and lose two and draw a card so i think uh this is like a pretty solid option for folks looking for colorless draw options. Uh, Endless Atlas sees play in almost 10,000 decks on EDH rec. And this is kind of like at a, a similar price point and like similar uh, and like similar ongoing value. So I think this could be good. Uh, I was also looking, speaking of, you know, card draw effects, I was also looking at Grazalax. This is the one blue blue, uh, the horror that makes it so that um, Basically, once per opponent per combat on your turn, uh, you can draw a card when you deal them combat damage with a creature. And then when a, whatever a creature you control becomes blocked, you may return it to your hand. So I think just for the pure card draw aspect of it, I think that is good enough to see a fair bit of play in Commander. Like Biden of Thassa sees play in 21,000 decks. Um, I know that Reconnaissance Mission sees play in around 12,000 decks. So this is cheaper. Uh, it does have like a hard cap on the number of cards drawing drawn being the number of opponents you have. But it also has that extra line of text where your your blocked creatures can be saved. And I think that is going to appeal to a lot of people as well. 
Uh, next, I have Oswald Fiddlebender. He's the white earthing pod for artifacts. Uh, I just think this is a, a great, like, not only provides a great toolbox for white, but just a great source of recurring value. He's super cheap, only two mana. Um, and it allows white to just do something more interesting than, than mo most white decks currently do. Uh, next, I've got Minimus Containment. Uh, this is the two and a white for an aura that basically turns a permanent into a treasure. Uh, it it's this one's I'm probably like less confident about. Um, it looks a lot like a banishing light or something like that, but there's so many similar effects uh, that it's going to be hard for this one to like really convince people to take out the O ring or the banishing light from their deck and put in minimus containment instead. Because it's, I think it's better, but it's pretty marginally better. And I think that like those kind of small upgrades don't excite other people maybe as much as they excite me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, finally, the last card on my top ten list um, is Treasure Vault. This is the colorless artifact land that taps for a colorless, or you can pay XX, tap it, and sacrifice it to create X treasures. And I think this is going to see a lot of play, mostly. Uh, just because it's a colorless artifact land, pretty much any artifact list can run it, and it'll just help you with your your affinity or like have just be an artifact to sacrifice. Treasure decks are going to be interested in it. Um, I know that I want to get a copy for like Ozgear just to kind of use it to ramp. So I think there's uh, a a lot going on with this card, and I expect it to see a lot of play. Right, so um, what's your uh, 10 cards that you're expecting to see a lot of adoption on ETH Rec? Yeah, as always, like there's some overlap, um, and I tried not to look at Nick's list before I wrote anything down. So whatever's overlapping is just because we both felt it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my first one is Teleportation Circle. Um, for a lot of the reasons that Nick said, so I'm not necessarily going to um, rehash them here. Um, I think we both just feel like that it's going to be a good card. I know I'm going to play with it, so I figure other people will too. Um, I'm going to say the Druid class for the same reasons that kind of I brought up like in the earlier section where just all the alternatives are so expensive uh, and they're all so heavily played that I think that this might be a card that uh, people see as like a budget option uh, that they'll be willing to play with. Uh, and in the same kind of zone, the fighter class um, is probably going to be easy to pick up. Uh, oh, well, <laughs> hopefully we'll be able, <laughs> hopefully fighter class is something you'll be able to pick up because it is currently pre-selling for, for a decent chunk of change. But I, I just think that's because it's good enough to be a staple. Um, like just the front end of just like being an enchantment that you can tutor like a white pretty much gets to tutor for equipment and enchantment so you could get this you could uh, level it up it offers you a bunch of flexibility it just is a good thing um so i'm i'm assuming that's going to be a card that people play with i'm gonna say zorn so zorn is the three mana three two that when you make a treasure you make an additional treasure i think we're gonna see a lot more treasure production and treasure cards People are already excited about treasure, so I can only imagine this getting more popular, especially when I'm assuming 
I, I don't know. This is like, I'm assuming we're going to get more treasure cards in, in Estrad. I'm assuming that those vampires, those rich vampires are going to, going to have something for us there. So I, I would not have a doubt that a red treasure interacting card sees more play. Definitely think we're going to see more treasure in the future. I don't know if it's going to be as soon as Innistrad, but it seems to be a mechanic that they like a lot and the players mm. are, I think, have responded to it pretty positively in most cases. So yeah, that, that seems like a decent pick. Yeah, the and my next one in the vein of treasures is exactly what Nick said. It's old Gnawbones. And I think the combination of like splashy green dragon combined with like insane mana production is going to be something that draws people in. So even regardless of like old Nawbones decks themselves, like mono green old Nawbones, I think this is just going to be a card that people want to play with. And I said Guardian of Faith next. I'm not going to rehash either of those. Guardian of Faith just looks awesome, is probably going to play awesome, and I'm excited to pick some up. Grazalax for the same reasons that Nick said. Biden Athasa is just so good. I I cannot tell you how many decks I have made or brewed over the years where I just threw in every single reconnaissance mission, coastal piracy, Biden of Thassa, and they just work. They just mm-hmm. <laughs> get you what you need every time. So having one that's a creature, uh, that's great. I love it. Next one for me is Circle of Dreams Druid. So again, I think a budget guy's cradle is good enough for most people. Tasha's Hideous Laughter. So this is one that I'm going on a limb for. I think the fact that it says each player, the fact that it's going to see play, I'm I'm pretty sure it's going to see play in like more competitive formats. I think this is a card that people are going to want to play with and people are going to play. Basically, I think that a card that can exile that many cards is probably worth people looking at. I don't know if it's going to. Like I said, this is going to be my my reaching out one. Um, and or maybe like a bunch of people who play CEDH, put it in their list online or something like that. But my last one is going to be Eye of Vecna. And I think, uh, again, for the reasons Nick said, um, just is a consistent source of card draw. And there's a lot of colors that don't get that as efficiently, (laughs) sadly. So I have one honorable mention. I think uh, Nick has an honorable mention too. Uh, My honorable mention is going to be Vorpal Sword. It's a one-mana equipment. Gives death touch. There's not a lot of things that do that, so I think it passes a bar for a card that people are going to find really useful, even if it doesn't make it into the top ten. But I guess this is kind of me hedging my bets because it could make it into the top ten. <laughs> <laughs> so you can all yell at me later. But that's it. Uh, do you have anything? Any other things you want to add? Any honorable mentions? Yeah, uh, I've got one honorable mention, which. And it's just kind of in like the same position as minimus containment as like mm-hmm. something that's like maybe marginally better than something where there's like a bunch of existing options. So like, <laughs> I think it's a good card, but it's not sexy enough to like, I don't know if it's good enough to, or like better enough to convince people to take, to to put it in their deck over some of the existing cards. I'm talking about power word kill. Um, so power word kill is uh, the one in the black for an instant uh, destroy target non-demon, non-devil, non-angel, non-dragon creature. Um, so it's good. I think that it, it's kind of comparable to like go for the throat or doom blade or uh, heartless act or, you know, any of these other black 
kill spells that just miss one small category of creatures. Um, but I could see this getting a lot of adoption because it's like cool and flavorful D and D, even though it's like not that much better than the cards we already have. Um, but maybe it'll turn people off because like, you know, that it kind of like calls to mind all the things it doesn't hit like really loudly. Oh. Like, <laughs> It's kind of like don't think about a pink elephant or whatever. Um, yeah. What? What? How? Did, what's the vic? What's the vic? Not victimized. What's the one that doesn't hit like werewolves and stuff? Oh, victim of night. I think power word kill is better. Yeah, I mean, victim of night is like black black. So that's so this is like just easier to cast. Yeah, I feel uh, it. But th- there's my honorable mention. Other than that, uh, that's. Pretty much all I have. We'll we'll check in with these predictions and our Modern Horizons two predictions uh, when we start looking at Innistrad in the fall. Yes, so uh, guarantee you it'll be sooner sooner than we thought it's going to be. Yeah. Uh, well, with that, uh, that wraps up our set review. Thanks so much for checking in uh, and and listening to this beast of an episode. Uh, if you disagree with any of our evaluations, if there is tech that for some of these new commanders that we didn't think of, please let us know. Um, if you uh, have any thoughts, please just reach out to us. I'm at Commander Theory on Twitter. Uh, Zach, how can people reach out to you? Yeah, um, I am at Fat Bartleby on Twitter. Yeah, like uh, you, you can always reach us at uh, the email, which I'm pretty sure is just uh, Commander Theory at, at gmail.com. gmail.com. Yeah, yeah um, and send us uh custom commanders deck lists like kind of kind of whatever your opinions on stuff and and i think the best way to get a hold of us because both of us are just on it so often is literally just our discord so oh yeah uh, we're we're in our discord every single day so um and the, the best way to join our discord is just to become a patron so uh with that i want to give a brief Shout out to our Patreon patrons. Um, these are the folks who are supporting us every month. And it's because of you all that we get to keep making this show. So thank you to Gustav, Ryan, Mark, Rick, Raphael, Laser, Charlotte, Hannah, Andy, Dylan, James, Logan, Roger, Evan, Bryce, Dylan, Benjamin, Jamie, Matthew, Jason, Kyle, Brandon, Kevin, Kaidel, Jeremy, Russell, Dylan, Leo, Ian, John, John, Tom, Micah, Troy, Roxanne, Charles, Daniel, Ellie, and Leon. Thanks, everyone. And if you're not currently a Patreon patron but would like to become one, please check us out at patreon.com slash commander theory. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. It is Zach. Uh, one last time I got my good microphone and I'm putting this on uh, the end of the episode because even after the addendum and all that stuff, Wizards decided to release some bangers. So the only one I'm going to talk about here is a little guy. Uh, you might know him. His name is Asmodeus the Archfiend. So Asmodeus the Archfiend is a legendary creature, devil god. They are a 6-6 six, six for 6 mana, 4 black black. He has Binding Contract. If you would draw a card, exile the top card of your library face down instead. Then he has two activated abilities. The first one is black black black, draw 7 cards. Uh, yes, that you, you heard that right, draw 7 cards. And then the last one is black. Return all cards exiled with Asmodeus, the Archfiend, to their owner's hand, and you lose that much life. 
So before I even get into the mechanics, people were kind of like, why is this devil black? And that's because in D&D, devils and demons are opposite as they are in magic. In magic, devils are red. They're chaotic beings. They like run around with little pitchforks. And demons are black. They're crafty. They form contracts, blah, blah, blah. But in D&D, um, demons come from the roiling abyss. It's this chaotic, evil place where everything just wants to eat everything else and kill everything. They're chaotic beings, so they would kind of be red in magic, like, color terms. And devils come from the Nine Hells, which is, like, a really organized, evil place where uh, people are always... These devils are trying to get contracts with people so that they can, like, steal their souls and stuff like that. And Asmodeus is the... Um, basically, the, the devil god. He makes the, the biggest, baddest, bestest deals. So, that's why he is a god devil... The deck itself, this card is pretty bonkers. Very strong three mana draw seven is just something that you don't really see too often. So, um, I mean, <laughs> I feel bad talking about this without Nick here, but um, two cards that work really well. Scourge Familiar is a three, two Phyrexian Imp for five mana, four and a black. It has flying and it has discard a card, add black. It was just reprinted in Modern Horizons 2, so it won't be too hard to pick up. Uh, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. And the other one is that, um, so, well, first thing first, you can put this Asmodeus trigger on the stack in the same way you can put these Scourge Familiar triggers on the stack and then just like, just draw a bunch of cards and add a bunch of mana to your mana pool. You could just lose the life with Asmodeus or you could just sack him or bounce him or whatever else you want to do to get around the, uh, the bargain text on him, the binding contract that you enter when you uh, play with Asmodeus. So you could very easily go like black, 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 trigger on the stack, or black, black, black ability on the stack, black, black, black ability on the stack, in response, sack, and just drop 14 cards. <laughs> which, which, you know what, that's pretty good. You know, that's, that's a pretty good thing to do. If you have 14 cards in hand, how do you spend the mana on it? Because you just spent a bunch of black mana to draw a bunch of cards well scourge familiar is your guy um all of a sudden you have a bunch of cards in hand which translate to black mana which translate to casting all the ones that you need um maybe you even have a way to reanimate um your asmodeus or something like that um maybe you bounced him and you with your erratic portal or something and you can just discard some cards play him again draw a bunch more cards so who knows the possibilities are endless uh which means that um he's also going to be a player in a bunch of decks so the, one of the best things you can do is if you do sack him or you're playing him just in a reanimator deck or whatever black deck, I'm going to talk about that more in a second, um, Necrotic Ooze is buck wild because Necrotic Ooze is a 4-mana four 4-3. Four, uh, it's 2 and 2 black for an Ooze, and it has all activated abilities of all creature cards in graveyards. So what does that mean? That means that you can just pay 3, draw 7 cards. If Asmodeus is in your graveyard, which is, it might be, you know, you might discard him, you might do whatever. Um, but the Ooze doesn't have binding contract, so you just draw, <laughs> you just draw seven cards. So let's say you have like an Aromi of the Dead Tide, um, which exiles cards from your graveyard equal to the number of opponents you have to give a creature Encore. Let's say you have an Apostle of Purifying Light, which just says uh, to exile a card from a graveyard. Um, there's more, basically, you get the idea, you get where I'm going with this. I'm, I'm pretty sure that if you activate 
these abilities. Uh, uh, there's just dozens of these things. Um, any activated ability. I'm pretty sure that you can also pay black to get them back with Ooze Asmodeus. So that's also something that you could do. There's probably some loop you can make to like discard a card, exile the card, get the card back with the Ooze. But, you know, comboing with Necrotic Ooze really shouldn't be a surprise. That card is, is pretty much built specifically for that purpose. <laughs> So that is it. The last note I'm going to make is Asmodeus wasn't it wasn't out when we did our predictions. So this might not be legal, you know, but uh, I'm going to change some of my predictions, which I get privileged of doing because I edit the podcast. And my last prediction or one of my last predictions was Tasha's Hideous Laughter, which I checked on EDA Trek, some other mill cards, and they have pretty abysmal play rates, even the good ones. So what I am going to say is I'm going to take, I'm going to slash it, Tasha the City's Laughter. I was reaching out, but I'm putting in Asmodeus. So Asmodeus is my like ninth or 10th pick for the set. Vorpal Sword's still going to be my my honorable mention. Uh, I'm going to look at Tasha's City's Laughter, but I'm not including it. You can quote me on this. If Tasha's City's Laughter is in the top 10, uh, you can all laugh at me. But that is it. Okay, thank you for dealing with a patchwork episode. Thank you for dealing with a late episode for a hour long episode we love you all so much we're so glad that uh it seems like some of you like these big episodes we're gonna do new stuff better stuff moving forward we're just talking about how to make spoiler season better because they're most of the year spoiler season now and we want to do other content too and we know that you all probably i mean you hopefully like the spoilers but probably like our other content too hopefully so we're going to try and figure out ways to just make it good for everybody. So uh, thank you all. We uh, we appreciate you being here. And uh, now you're going to hear the plug. And I'm going to get going and stop talking. And, and yeah, that's it. Okay, we care about you all. Bye. If any of you theorists want to get in touch with us, I am at Commander Theory on Twitter and Tumblr. And Zach is at Fat Bartleby on Twitter. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy. And you can check them out on SoundCloud. Until next time, we're going back to the drawing board.